and you're giggling over there. Jason D. To. We haven't even started yet, and you're giggling because I left Jason D. I guess I can tweet out a picture. I, yes. le- I left you a couple of items that I have found. Classics. Absolutely. Deep in the heart of Classics. this particular home. Yes. Because I went looking for, and I tweeted some of these things out. Mm-hmm. I went looking for the picture from the last episode, the interview with Jack Sigma, where he tells the story of coming across the country to a little private school and showing up just so that he could talk to Jack Nicholas. Mm-hmm. And I was there as a 12 year old, and I have a picture somewhere of Jack Sickman so and I yeah. in like 1979, 1980. So I was looking for that picture to tweet it out. I've shown Jack and Sean that picture, and they mm-hmm. laugh like hell when they see it. But I couldn't find it. But I found everything else. My whole life was in a box, and I pulled a few things for you to see. And uh, you're oh, there's going to be one thing that I'm going to tweet out. Okay, I haven't tweeted that one out. And yet. it's going to be the April 28th, 1988 <laughs> version of the Daily Orange, the Syracuse School Newspaper uh, Sports Section. Yeah, with a classic. What's the headline? Levy heads new sports staff, and it is going to be a classic photo, Z89 FM, uh, of a young Mitchell Reed Levy in yeah. one of the worst sweaters you can absolutely think of. I blame Bill Cosby for that. Blame Lou Carnesecca. I blame Louis Carnesecca for that. <laughs> Subscribe, listen, and rate five star, please. By the way, our new format last week, as you know, was the first time. We put the second show of the week. 35P. That Right, 35P. Very good. In a patrons-only format yep. via the Patreon episode. Okay? And my report is very positive. Mm. Everybody seemed to like it. It was an hour and 27 minutes. We had four guests. It was a good big show. We got a lot more patrons to sign up mm-hmm. to be a part of that second show per week. No one seemed to have any problems technologically with it. It all seemed to work out just nice. fine. I will say this, that people are still kind of puzzled on how to, and it's very simple, on how to set it up when you become a patron to get that second show per week, how to get it set up so that it automatically populates in your phone app. Right. You listen on- iTunes. iTunes yeah. on your phone. Yeah. And I listen to on an Android right. thing. And you can set it up one time. When, when you become a patron, you're going to get what they call an RSS feed of Mitch Unfiltered. And so every time we put something out on the patron side, uh, when you copy and paste it one time into your Apple Music right. on your phone or into your Android yeah. favorite app, whatever it is, yep. it will. all you got to do is copy and paste that RSS right. feed in there one time, hit click, right. boom, Every single time I post something on the Patreon site for patrons. Right there. It's there just like this regular show. Take that link, move it over to your, your device. Very, However very, you do it, very, boom, very, copy and paste. It. Yep. It's one copy and paste. Uh, so very, very good. It works with Apple Music. It works with most Android device apps, although Google Music Play is not a good one. You want to get one of the other ones like Podcast Addict. There's a couple of different good Android podcast apps, but very, very simple. Another thing that I haven't even brought up to you off the air yet, Mm. I think we should do a schedule change this week. The second show would typically come out on Thursday, but Thursday will be the first round of the NFL draft. And I'm thinking rather than debut a new show on Thursday morning, the day of the draft... Why not do it on Friday morning 
you and I will get together sometime either on the phone or in person on Thursday night after we see the first. Now, we know the Seahawks are not going to pick on Thursday. <laughs> Why would they? Okay, Why would they ever a, pick on the first They may not day. pick in the whole draft, I think, they've decided. <laughs> they're going to trade, trade down. down. They're going to have, have 19 picks, but they'll never draft anyone. They're not going to draft anybody, yeah. and they're going to have 43 picks in next year's <laughs> draft. They're going to have three first-rounders, 12 second-rounders. Yeah. But uh, even though they won't draft in the first round, no one believes that they're going to draft. I think it would be better if our next show this week was after some draft sure. stuff happened sure. on Friday Makes rather sense. rather than Thursday. Any, anyway, that would be 36P, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. A big week in sports. The NFL draft is on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So this edition of Mitch Unfiltered. You and I will talk a little bit about it, but we're going to we're going to share different perspectives of the draft on this edition. We've got two former dogs. That's right. I guess once a dog, always a dog. Always a dog. How about 5,323 rushing yards? Incredible. And 57 rushing touchdowns, both Washington Huskies records. How about Miles Gaskin? appearing on this episode number 36, and I'm not bragging. Ben Burr-Curvin, the 2018 Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. They say Mm -hmm. he's undersized, may not be fast enough, weak side linebacker, is he big enough? Mm -hmm. He'll be playing in the NFL. He's just a football player. He's waiting to find out his fate. Also, Dane Brugler is going to be our guest. You don't know who that is, but he's the Athletics NFL draft guru, mm-hmm. right, of the new athletic, the mm-hmm. uh, subscription-based piece on the internet. And ESPN Seahawks insider Brady Henderson rejoins us from Bristol, Connecticut. The fallout of the Russell Wilson contract, the Frank Clark rumors, which seem to be growing and getting hotter and hotter. Is Frank Clark on his way out? Right. Is he going to be traded? Brady's actually flown from Seattle to Bristol to be a part of their NFL coverage. So uh, he will be joining us on this episode 36 from Bristol, Connecticut. Truly indebted to the incredible Mitch Unfiltered sponsors, Daniel's Broiler with four locations, Leshy South Lake Union, the new downtown Seattle spot at the Hyatt Regency, breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. I kid you not, first time ever that a Daniel's Broiler treated you with breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage, Find the loan to fit your life. Select from hundreds of loan products tailored to your needs. Call Jordan Flowers' team at 425-250-3150. 425-250-3150. Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest, headquartered right here in Bellevue. Our presenting sponsor of both Mitch's unfiltered March Madness and the Majors Golf Challenge. Zeke's Pizza. Ever wanted to sit down, watch a game, all while enjoying some great pizza and craft beer? Zeke's Pizza's for you. I can't wait till football season when I make Zeke's Pizza's 16 locations kind of my spot to watch Huskies and Seahawks football games. All right. We've got a lot to accomplish on episode number 36. And you've got quite an assortment of of little paraphernalia over there to describe to the listening audience. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Episode number 36 starts right now. Unfiltered. Noel said, nope, I'm going to the University of Washington. I've always wanted to play the University of Washington. I like my copies. I'm going to give him a chance, and I'm going to play here. And all he did was be the second best freshman his first year, yep. be the player of the year in the conference his second year, and take this team back to the NCAA tournament kind of on his shoulders in his second year. Unfiltered. 
every shot from the moment things got crazy. I mean, nuts. Guys are hitting the water. Uh, Molinari is chunking chips on 15 up off the tree and into the water. Things are going crazy. Kepka's stepping away from drives. Everybody's going nuts. And he was like, everything was moving real slow for him. It, it, it seemed like Tiger just pressed a button and he was like, okay. He was like, his pulse was Lance Armstrong in his heyday. I mean, it was like 30. It was 40. I mean, it was nothing. Mitch is unfiltered. All right, you've got uh, three pieces over there. I do. Three exquisite like, I feel like I'm at the museum. They are exquisite, <laughs> exquisite masterpieces that are sitting in front of me. I tweeted two of them out. You did. Uh, one is a picture. Now, I don't know what episode we t I told the story, but I told the Sean Chabot story. And some people not actually may not actually believe the story that I told, which is that a young guy who happened to be watching us play softball one day in like 1995, yeah, our company softball game. Yep, we needed somebody to come in and pinch hit because one of our players had gotten thrown out of the game. He comes in and lines a double to keep the rally alive, and we win the playoff game. I tell the story on the air. Yeah, and the Mariners call. I think it was Kevin Martinez calls and says, "Hey, this <laughs> Sean Chabot, he's a legend. We want to invite him to throw out the first pitch." <laughs> yeah, and before you know it. Sean Chabot and I are in the middle of the kingdom and he is throwing out the first pitch of a Mariners game. And I happened to come across this when I was looking for the Jack Sigma Mitch Levy photo. I came across the photo of Sean Chabot throwing out the first pitch there's the a kingdom. There's a lot of quality here. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you start to really break down this photo, you know, your description of Sean Chabot, first of all, first of all, this whole story is amazing. Yeah. But then just his outfit, what he's wearing. Yeah. He's got the jeans, the black tennis shoes, <laughs> the hat. Your outfit. Oh, God. Uh, your outfit. Can we not focus on me? Can we focus on who's through? I'm holding his keys, by the way. Your outfit is amazing. Uh-huh. Thank you very much. This whole... 1995. Look at his name up on the board. I know. His name's on the board. Yeah. Then the side yeah. the side view of you right here in the, in oh, the I don't cam. Think I, I don't think I oh, noticed yeah, yeah. that. It's a, you, were the, you were the cam on the, in the side view. Oh, Jesus. You, you didn't see that, no, did you? I didn't yeah. see that. <laughs> <laughs> give it back. Give it back. I, give it back. I didn't see that. You didn't see that. Yeah. Uh, you're up on the big screen of the Jumbotron. Yes. You don't... You you don't realize that. I don't realize. I didn't realize it then. I don't realize it now. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is just good quality stuff. All right. So there's that. Yeah. I also left you a, a little letter, a copy yep. of a letter. Yep. Read that letter to everybody from 19. People have heard me do. Now, the reason I left this for you, and I also tweeted this out last week. People have heard me do the Marv Albert imitation. I've been yep. doing it for years and years and years. Hearing it from the You know, the whole thing. Yes. Yes. Um, and I just wanted to prove to you how old that imitation is, how long I'm doing that imitation. Well, first of all, let's describe the paper. Tell the folks what this paper is. I, I think it's the way they, it I, is the third, yeah, the third piece of paper. I'm calling it the carbon copy, but it's the, it's not even the second one. It's the third one. Right. Version of 
the letter that your father yes typewritten that's right to the Marv Albert sound alike contest yes we were living in Flo- I lived in Florida yes. and somehow somebody became familiar through the Knicks station that the Knicks were doing or Madison Square Garden was doing yes. a, a, a national mm-hmm. Marv Albert sound alike contest in 1985 and I was a I guess almost a senior, probably a senior in high school at that point. We got wind of it, and of course, my father decided, okay, you're in. You can't have a Marv Albert soundalike contest MSG without this guy. Can right? I read this? Sure. Oh, this sure. is great. Date. What's the date? This is great. February 26, 1985. Yeah. All right. My son, Mitchell, <laughs> is entering your Marv Albert soundalike contest. His name, address, and phone number is, and it's disclosed. Yeah. I'm enclosing his tape recording to be utilized in the contest and ask only that if Mitchell does not win, which is just a classic entry line, (laughs) that we be advised of the names and addresses of the winner and semifinalists if this is possible. (laughs) I know you will be listening to all the tapes but you are in for a particular treat if you listen to the enclosure very carefully. Uh, Thanking you for your cooperation with regard to this matter, I am very truly yours, Robert S. Levy. That's right. (laughs) Now, you might want to know, why in the world was he asking for... The names and names addresses. Names and addresses. Like, they're yes. going to give them. Here's, yeah, the, yeah. here's where they yeah. live. Go go find them. <laughs> go find them, the winners. Yeah, well, go find there's them. A, there's actually, and I was thinking about this. When I when I found this, I actually uh, sent a, a copy to my oldest brother, and he asked me the same question. I try to put my memory cap on, and why in the world would my dad want to know the addresses? And yeah. it dawns on me that when we decided to enter that contest my senior year in high school, he was concerned that they were going to make this a real regional contest. Oh, sure. You lived in Florida. How was I going to get there? Yeah. Were they going to pay my way? It was probably a little thing. Yeah, yeah. A little idea that they had. And he was so concerned good. that they were going to pick only semifinalists and finalists from around the New York metropolitan area so that there was no travel involved. And he wanted to know... If that was the case, if I wasn't going to make, because he was convinced there's no possible way they wouldn't choose me. Right. How could they not choose his son? Right? It's impossible that they can't choose his right, son. Right. Right. So I remember, I remember some of the finalists. One of the guys had a great career in broadcasting. Actually, went to Syracuse. A couple of guys went to Syracuse. Mm-hmm. I remember the guy. New Yorkers. New Yorkers. All New Yorkers. All New Yorkers. Oh, so your all dad, your dad was well aware. No, well, we never got the addresses. No, I don't know. Of course, of course, they didn't want you to go to their house and try to beat them up. Uh, of course you didn't. Of course you didn't. Right. I will tell you this. This was a very professional letter from. Uh, well, from, from Mr. Levy, the Mr. attorney Levy didn't, the attorney didn't know how to send a non-professional. Yes, letter. yes, yes. It yes. was dictated to his to his yes, secretary. Yes, There's yes. the dictation yes, of it yes. and the whole thing. And he somehow gave it to me, and I stored it away. So good. There it is. That is so good. There it is. All right. What's the third piece that you have over? Well, there? the third piece is, I mean, it's it's the coup de gras. I mean, it really is. Now I haven't really. <laughs> I. I don't even know if I can make it out of the house tonight without without tweeting this before the episode even hits, just as a teaser to what is to come. Yeah. But the headline again in the Daily Orange. The Daily Orange. A- April 28, 1988, Levy heads new sports staff. 
written by Steve Radley. Yes, who has, by the way, been discussed on my radio show for years. Oh, he has. For the people that are longtime Mitch in the morning listeners, Mm -hmm. the author of that article's name is Steve Bradley. He had a nickname. I'm just going to leave it at this, and some people are going to really choke up and laugh. Only a few that will remember it. Really? The real fans of the show. His nickname, The Chunkster. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Okay. Uh, That's all I'm going to say. Tariko the Uh-oh. chunkster. Uh oh. That's all good. That was the author of that particular author article. of this article. Yeah. Show it's a quality. I don't know what this is. It's a, <laughs> it, it, uh, a, a quality oh, photo. Oh. By the way, yeah, the sweater. It's not just the sweater, Mitch. Yeah. It's the popped collar coming out of the sweater, too. You haven't even noticed this Michael J. Fox Back to the Future look that you got going on right here. But the popped collar coming out of the Lou Carnesecca sweater, that is a ugly ass sweater. Jeez, Louise. That's an ugly sweater. Uh, What could I tell you? Oh, I can't wait. I to found tweet. it. I thought you get a kick out of it. You might even enjoy the article if you yeah. read the article. Yeah. I don't know. The picture is much better than the article. But anyway, uh, Mitch Unfiltered Business. I've got some Mitch Unfiltered. When you're when you're finished with the uh, the paraphernalia, yeah, I've got some Mitch Unfiltered Business for you. Okay. I want to announce that we have a new member of the Mitch Unfiltered team. We do. We do. <laughs> you might remember him from his, his days at KJR with me. Mm-hmm. His name is Steve Dion. Do you remember Steve Dion? I do remember Steve Dion. Okay. The greatest schnoz, daily schnoz producer in the history of KJR is joining our team as a an executive producer. Mm-hmm. He's going to help me book the shows. He's going to help edit the shows. He's going to help publish the shows, organize this thing. So we've got a little team, a little growing team. And now people might be saying, well, why do we, why do we care about that? Right. Well, it could actually manifest into something very... Very good for the listeners. More opportunities to do more shows. Sure. Maybe we go back someday to the two free shows. I mean, there's a lot of different, a lot of flexibility we have with another member of the team, somebody who's going to help us do some of the right. the late night stuff that it takes to get these shows ready mm-hmm. for for air. So I wanted to mention that to you. That's great. Uh, the other thing is we've got a. I, I don't know if you're sensing this on Twitter. We've got a very polarizing issue going on. On Twitter. We do. On Mitch Unfiltered. It's the most polarizing thing about Mitch Unfiltered ever in the history of Mitch Unfiltered. Okay. Yeah. You are either, you don't seem, there seems to be no middle ground on this thing. And that's the naming of the episodes. Oh, are you following this? Yes. People I was wondering are, where you were going. People yeah. are just fired up on both ends about the naming of the yeah, episodes. Yeah, yeah. It's run its course. It sucks. I fast forward through it. It's just a, it's a waste. It's a, it's just forget it. Stop doing it. Nobody listens to it. And then on the other side, we love it. It's great. We think it's awesome to hear about old time players and yes. it leads to other conversations and it's a trip down memory lane and we don't understand why people who don't like it don't just fast forward. It's a, it's a podcast for God's sakes. Right. You can fast forward through anything you don't like. Exactly so why right. would you stop doing it? So there's, there's this give, there's just a lot of heat. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling a, a lot, lot of heat, of, a lot of heat okay. both ways on why now I don't know whether to do this whether to keep doing it or not to keep doing it. My inclination is to do it because, A, we like doing it. Of course. And, B, again, for the people that don't like it, they can fast forward. They don't have to listen to it. Technology is amazing. Yeah. Go ahead. 
when you're listening to a radio show while you're driving your car, if they're involved in something that you don't like, you can't fast forward through it, right? You you either go Change to another station, That's yeah, right. you go to another channel, or you tough it out, you yep. brave yourself through it, and yep. you wait till the next topic comes up. That's not the case with podcasts. You can just zip it, right? And I think there's a 15 second, 20 right. second, boop, 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 hit a couple, hit a couple of them. Yeah. Now I have good news for those that hate it. Mm-hmm. At least for today, that today's is the worst maybe of all time. So we're just going to go, we're going <laughs> to, I'm hardly going to do it today. Really? Oh yeah. Because the guy who really deserves the naming of it today, I'll never name a show after because he just represents something very, he represents heartache, sports heartache in my mind. Well, that's not, that's not fair. Yes, it is fair. It's, it's my turn, isn't it? Or is it your turn? No, I don't. You recall? You're out of it now. I, I, a guy told me that I, I should no longer. Oh, you have, did. You did 35 because yeah. you did KD yeah. instead of going with Tiger, Tiger Woods. Yeah, but I don't remember what the person, what his beef was with me, and I basically said, "Great, I'll never yeah. do it again." Yeah, people wanted you to go with some people wanted you to go yeah. with Tiger Woods. Yeah, he he also hit shot 35, 35. Right. On on the day that we put together That's episode thirty five, he yeah. won his fifteenth major and he went with K D and I would have gone with K D also. Yeah. So I mean for this one, we're not going lawyer Malloy of the Seahawks. We're not going Lamar Smith of the Seahawks. We're not going Paul Silas, who was the only one to ever wear thirty six and he really wore thirty five more than he wore. He wore it one year for the Sonics. So we can kind of go through it. There's really no great, great all time athletes. Wait a minute, you mean there's not there's not an almost Hall of Fame Mariner? Well, I'm getting to him. Yeah, yeah. Well, there is a Hall of Fame I, Mariner. I, I, not an almost Hall of Fame. Well, there's a Hall of well, Fame Mariner. Okay, sorry. I'm skipping ahead of where you're going, and I wasn't even thinking about the person that you're talking about who barely played for the Mariners organization who's in a Hall of Famer. But go ahead. Go ahead. Keep okay, going. Okay, so who am I missing? No, am I no missing one. somebody? No. A, a soon-to-be Hall of Famer? No. Mariner? No. Okay, no. Okay. So here's the deal. Okay. If any recognized... If Sports Illustrated did this this deal, yes, did this exercise, uh-huh. there's no question who they would arrive at, and it would be Jerome Bettis of the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers yeah. Okay, to me, Jerome Bettis represents a really bad couple of weeks in my sports fandom, and you know what those couple of yeah, weeks sure. are. First of all. All I heard in the couple of weeks leading up to that Super Bowl was Jerome Bettis is going home to Detroit to play in the Super Bowl. Yep. If I heard, if I had to read one of those things, I read a million of those things. If I had to hear about that one time, I heard it about it a million times. It sure. just made me. It was the storylines one, two, three, four, and five right. of that Super Bowl, and I I was annoyed by the time we got to game time. And then of course it didn't work out, and he just represents that Steelers team. And I I'm not naming the episode. Whether he deserves it or not, I'm not naming the episode after Jerome Bettis. I'm just not. Okay. So that leaves Gaylord Perry. Gaylord Perry. Who won his 300th career game wearing number 36 for your Seattle Mariners. Spitball, the whole thing, Vaseline, whatever it was, he was doctoring up the ball. To me, I'm just going to say it right now. You don't have to wait to the last part of the show. It's Gaylord Perry. Well, it's either Gaylord Perry or it's nobody at all. That's wow. why, because I'm, I'm not naming it Jerome Bettis. Okay, and I have nobody else. Unless you can share with, unless you got somebody in your mind that I'm not thinking of, I've got nobody else. I, I can't think of a 36. There's Robert Roberts. There's Don Newcomb. I mean, I'm not. I'm not doing that. Yeah. It really comes down to can I stomach episode the bus? Okay, and yeah. I can't. You can't. Nope, I can't. 
So I'll go Gaylord Perry because he seems to be a popular ex-Mariner, even though you're right, he didn't... A cup of coffee. A couple of years. A yeah. couple of years, I think he wore number 36. Yeah. So, so there's that. Now, before we get to uh, the rest of this particular episode 36, mm-hmm. where are you on the NFL draft? I mean, you're you're yeah. a football fan. You go see For the sure. Seahawks play. I'm a For football sure. fan. I go see the Seahawks play. The NFL draft has become this super big monster right. in sports. People, well, just the NFL in general, but yeah, the draft is a part of that. People consume the NFL yeah. draft and mock drafts and who are they going to yep. pick and trades. And when draft comes this Thursday, people are going to be crazed mm-hmm. to find out who their favorite team picks. Where are you on the NFL draft? I am a casual observer of the NFL draft. It's not must-see. I need to park myself, get my snacks ready, hunker down for two and a half, three hours to watch the first round. I'm not that. But I'm certainly certainly watching it on my phone. If I'm not watching the draft order and who is selected on my phone – uh, if I'm not watching it on television, I'm following it. But I, it's not must-see TV for me. Yeah. But uh, Why do you think it's must-see TV for all these people? Because I'm just with you. I would prefer to go do something else yeah. and track it on my phone. Yeah. There's a million minutes between every That's point. right. That's what drives it me crazy. It takes forever. And I just love the fact. I love the fact that we all pretend... Yeah, we know every to guy. To know all these guys. Yeah. When the truth is, none of us know any of these guys. And two months ago, had I asked any of these people that are draft Knicks, I yeah. mean, I'm not the people who yeah, cover yeah. it, yeah, yeah. just the fans. Yeah. Uh, look, look, here's Sports Illustrated's top 10 picks that mm-hmm. are coming on okay. Thursday, according to Sports Illustrated. Here, here's the bell. You ring the bell when you hear a name that you really, truly can picture seeing play. Okay. Okay? Kyler Murray. Okay. You can put the you could probably put the bell away. <laughs> um, well, Nick Boza. Ohio State. Okay. Yep. Josh Allen. Come on. Keep going. Who's Josh Allen? The quarterback? No. Josh Allen isn't a quarterback. Oh, he was last year's draft. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a different guy. Sorry. This is take the bell back. Okay. Uh that would be Josh Allen, an edge rusher for Kentucky. You never watched no, Josh Allen play. Don't know. Okay. Do you remember ever seeing Quinn and Williams play? No. He's a defensive tackle from Alabama. You've seen him play a few yeah. times, but you would not have Not noticed. name recognition. Um, Ed Oliver, de- defensive no. tackle, Houston. Arizona's going to pick Jonah Williams, offensive lineman, Alabama. No. Jawan Taylor, offensive lineman, Florida. That's seven. No. Uh, TJ Hawkinson. No. Tight end, Iowa. Uh, Daniel Jones, quarterback, Duke. No. No. Not even a quarterback. Devin Bush, linebacker, Michigan. No. Uh, Montez Sweat. You just know Old the Miss. Name. Close. Was it not Old Miss? Mississippi State. We'll give oh, you Mississippi half State. Okay. I'll give you a half credit yeah, on yeah. that. Okay. Uh Devin White, linebacker LSU. I've just gone through the top twelve. Yeah. And I'm telling you. And I picked one guy that's not even in this year's draft. Well, you thought his name <laughs> yeah, sounded yeah, yeah, familiar right. to you. The point is, is that you know, three months ago, none of us as fans really knew. Who these guys and there's going to be a lot of people listening right now that will be like, I know all those guys. I know it now, well, and, right. and, and maybe you do. But here's the here's the other part too. If I was a fan of a team that held the draft choices of either one, two, three, or four, I'd know all those guys because I'd be reading that list and I'd be studying up on those guys. 
right? I think that's what yeah. a lot of people yeah. do is they they find their team slot and they go, okay, who's in the range of the 10 players that whether we keep the pick or maybe there's a trade or maybe not, here's the eight to 10 guys that could be within the range of my team. Yeah. And now I know everything about those guys. Right. That's different. Yeah, that's completely different. different. But but the truth of the matter is, and maybe we would be more excited about it if we lived in a city where our team drafted high every once in a while. First or, of all, or, or actually drafted yeah, in the yeah, first yeah. round. Yeah. I mean, there's just no chance. There's just no chance that the yep. Seahawks, I guess there's, a, there's chance. a chance. What if the other 31 teams got together and said, okay, we're going to do a we're, blood brothers. We're going to do it. We're going to do a secret, <laughs> secret deal. None yeah. of us are trading to the Seahawks. With John Schneider. Yeah. We're not tra- letting him trade back. What would he do? Like, he would he just, would he like cross his arms and, pr- and just his refuse head to explode. pick? Refuse to pick. If no one would, if they all said, n- not only are we not trading with him, we're not yeah. taking the phone call. Yeah. No one, if John Schneider calls, just let the phone ring and ring and ring and ring and not let it. What, what would happen? I, I, I suppose he would have to pick at number 21. Right. I, I just maybe he wouldn't be prepared to pick at number twenty one. I I have no idea. But uh, the the one draft story that I recall from the air that I that I think I'd like to share was the year that Michael Vick was drafted. Mm. Michael Vick was an underclassman, and at the end of his year, he was on the Mitch of the Morning radio program. At the end of his Virginia Tech, really, whatever it would have been, junior year, yeah. And we were talking, and I said, come on, you're coming out. You're so coming out. He says, no, 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 I'm not coming out. And I said, come on, you are so coming out. There's no way you're not coming out. He says, I'm not coming out. I said, I'll tell you what. Will you give me your signing bonus if you come out? He said, I will give you my signing bonus if I come out. Is this a real story? Real story, true story. And um, he came out. Yeah. And we pursued it. We it's we like we North it, Carolina. It's like you, you pursued it. We pursued it. We yeah. had we, I had this guy that was good with arbitration. And yeah, he, yeah. His name was uh, Mullineux. Mullineux. <laughs> he called the show. We made a big deal out of yeah. it. We called Virginia Tech. We called Michael Vick. He got drafted. We called. I don't remember who who did draft. What is it, the Eagle? I don't even know. Atlanta Falcons. The Atlanta Falcons. Right. We called the Falcons. We said, Hey, you owe us ten million dollars. He owes, and it was a ten million dollars signing bonus. Yeah. So we pursued it. We really, we went out, we went hard, hard after the $10 hard, million, yeah. million dollars signing bonus. No luck. No, it didn't work out no, for yeah. us. <laughs> didn't work out for us. All right, four guests on episode number 36 on this episode. Different kind of angles of the draft. We'll have ESPN Seahawks insider Brady Henderson mm-hmm. to talk about the Frank Clark deal. Is it going to happen before Thursday? Is it not going? Are you okay with them trading you, Frank I, I'm Clark? Gonna be, I'm going to be honest. You're the one that opened my eyes on episode 35P for the patrons only yeah. about the idea of of the Seahawks potentially trading Frank, Frank Clark. It hadn't really entered my mind strongly. I mean, I, you know, it's always there. But when you started talking about that, and you started, who's the odd man out potentially? Who's the odd man out? You are the one that got me on the, wow, this could actually happen, Frank Clark being traded. And subsequent to that now, yeah. over the last few days, there's been more stories and more people saying, hey, Frank Clark could potentially be traded. So Right. It's uh, a way for them to add picks if they want to add picks. Right, right. And a lot of people are saying, first round pick, there's got to be a first round pick involved in a mm-hmm. trade for Frank Clark. Mm-hmm. Now, not all first round picks are the same. Sure. So let me ask you, if they... If they traded Frank Clark for the 15th overall pick, what would that do for you? 
as a Seahawks fan? That's a loaded question only in that we just got done saying, I don't even know who the top 10 players are. So who do you get to... to don't ask me. Right, yeah. but I, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So where does 15 actually equate to edge rushers in this draft? I don't know. So I'm going to, for the sake of the argument, I'll say fine. I would take number 15. 10 to 15 if you could get, or 12 to 15 in that range if you could get somebody for Frank Clark, fine. If that is what's going to help alleviate some salary pressure and you need to do it I'm okay with that okay all right well Seahawks insider Brady Henderson he's in Bristol Connecticut he'll tell us what he's hearing Mm -hmm. he's with Adam Schefter all the time right we'll find out what they're hearing at ESPN about Frank Clark and the Seahawks trading down Dane Brugler who's the athletics NFL draft guru the top three or four storylines, the most intriguing national storylines heading into Thursday's NFL draft and then two former dogs Two very successful former yeah. dogs who are waiting their fates. Miles Gaskin, all-time leading rusher, probably a late-round selection, maybe a third-day selection. Uh, I'll ask him, is it better to be selected late, 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 or just not be selected at right. all and sign with a good fit as an undrafted free agent? And then Ben Burke-Curvin mm-hmm. will also be our guest, the 2018 Pac-12 defensive player of the year, the great linebacker, the great all-American linebacker out of the University of Washington. Episode 36. You know, Jason, world-class hospitality makes each Daniel special. Daniel's new downtown location is truly unique, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. That's right, breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. There's more that makes the new Hyatt Regency Daniel's unique. Located within Daniel's Broiler, the Rick House Whiskey Bar. A bar within a bar, featuring over 150 selections of high-end whiskeys and other fine spirits from around the globe. Daniel's new downtown Hyatt Regency location offers a happy hour from 3 to 6.30, seven days a week, plus live piano music, located at 8th and Howell at the beautiful new downtown Hyatt Regency. This Daniel's has the largest dining room seating capacity, so those coveted Friday and Saturday reservations more likely to come true at this location breakfast lunch and dinner seven days a week at the new downtown Hyatt Regency Daniel's Broiler world-class steakhouses unfiltered Continue on this very draft-heavy episode 36 of Mitch Unfiltered. Joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline, all the way from Bristol, Connecticut, getting ready for the NFL draft. He's the ESPN Seahawks insider. He's Brady Henderson. Are you getting fired up, Brady? What brings you to, to, to Bristol, and are you going to be back in time for the draft? I will be back just in time, yeah. So they bring us out here every year. We just you know do meetings for a couple days, and then Tuesday night we do our live mock draft uh, it's like a sports center special, so I'll be up there in a suit and tie and taking my best guess at who I think the Seahawks are going to pick at 21 or wherever it is they end up picking, uh, and then I'll be back just in time for the draft on Thursday. Well, that's kind of like swinging at a pinata. There's no way they're going to choose at 21, right? You still have to make – are you allowed to trade the pick in the ESPN well, mock draft or no? So no no trades allowed, and so I'm going to have to work in a mention of, hey, there's a really good chance that we see the Seahawks trade back. But, you know, re- actually, you know, the guy that I ha- I'm picking for them – uh, Dexter Lawrence, the defensive tackle out of Clemson. You know, he's a guy who he could very well be there at 21, and he could even be there, you know, if, if they were to trade back, you know, a handful of spots and still be picking in that first round um, just because, you know, you've seen – 
you know, he, he is a nose tackle. He's a 342-pound nose tackle who's, you know, way more of a run stuffer than he is a pass rusher. And we've seen over the years, you know, usually those it, – it's, it's the pass rushing defensive tackles that go in the first round as opposed to those run stuffers. The classic example of that is, you know, four years ago, Jaron Reed, a lot of people thought he was going to be a first-rounder. The Seahawks were able to get him in the second round, and the big reason was because he wasn't – he didn't have that big pass rush production. Of course, he's developed into that guy – but in college, he really wasn't that guy. So, you know, that could work in the Seahawks' favor with Dexter Lawrence, a guy who they may even be tempted to take at 21, uh, but just because of his profile, he may be available for them a few spots later if they do decide to trade back. Is there a possibility that John Schneider, for all of his attempts to trade down from 21, wouldn't get the right offer? Because everybody in the world knows he wants to, and if he doesn't get a bidding war amongst multiple teams – he might be underwhelmed with the package of picks that he's he's offered to trade down from 21. Is it possible that while we're all expecting here in the Northwest that there's no way that they'll make a pick at 21, that he's forced to do so, Brady? Yes, it's a great point, and it's something that everybody should keep in mind. You know, I think that he has made it look way easier to pull off a trade than it actually is because – you know, you've, it takes obviously it takes a team that wants to trade back, but it also takes a team that wants to trade up, and that wants to give up the draft capital that it takes to pull off that trade. Um, and you know, they they've done it, and we've seen them do it countless times. But uh, there's just no guarantee that that you're going to be able to find that partner when you're talking about you know this is all happening under a running clock. Now, you know what happens in the few days leading up to the draft and the weeks leading up to the draft is those pro scouts are on the phone calling all their buddies throughout the league trying to get a sense of the landscape of which teams might be willing to trade up. So, you know, this is not something that just happens once the Seahawks get on the clock. Like, there's a lot of, of thought that goes into this. But that said, there's still never any guarantee. And another point I'll make is that, you know, this draft is, is considered very deep with defensive linemen, as I'm sure you know. And, you know, where the Seahawks are picking, um, you know, 21, you know, in a given draft, okay, like an average draft, there may be – you know, 20 guys that the NFL consensus would be that, okay, those are first-round guys. Like the majority of NFL teams are going to have first-round grades on those guys. So in a normal draft, when you're picking at 21, you're going to be right at that cutoff point where there's a very good chance that all of the first-round guys are gone by then, and it makes sense to trade back so you don't take a second-round guy right. at a first-round spot. Right. But, you know, in a draft like this where it's very defensive-heavy, you may end up getting a guy at 21 who is a, a very good first-round player who might just be too good to pass up. The voice is Brady Henderson. you got to follow him as we count you down, count you the minutes to the, uh, to the draft on Thursday. He's in Bristol, Connecticut, returning home to the Pacific Northwest to cover the Seahawks draft. If they do draft on Thursday, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, a number of different things in play here. Obviously, the Frank Clark story has captured all of our attention uh, you and Schefter and ESPN reporting that the Seahawks are taking a good long look at offers to move him before the draft, Brady. Um, what's the latest on that? What do you think they're looking for? What are the possibilities that Frank Clark has played his last game for the Seahawks? Yeah, and there have been rumors and whispers about this for a while now. And you know, Schefter had the report specifically that they're seeking a first-round pick um, which, you know, the first thing that I thought of when I saw that was, you know, that reminds me of the Richard Sherman saga from two years ago and the, the Earl Thomas situation last year. Remember in 2017, the Seahawks were 
publicly, you know, dangling Richard Sherman um, in trade talks. And the, the report there was that they wanted a first round pick. I think it was the same situation last year with Earl Thomas. And, and everybody looks at those situations and says, okay, this player is probably only going to be there for one more year. So you might as well trade him now while you can still get whatever you can get for him. I don't think the Seahawks look at it that way. I think the Seahawks look at it and say, hey, we've got this elite player we're not going to give him up for nothing. So I, I think that's the tact that taking with Frank Clark is, hey, okay, it may be his last season here, but you know we have valued, even if it is that last season, we've valued that one last season. Um, and, and frankly, it makes sense to, to place a first-round value on Frank Clark because, A, he's that type of player, you know, 32 sacks over the last three seasons, that's the ninth most in the NFL on that span. And look at what else you have. There, there's nobody on that roster um, that got more than three sacks in terms of edge rushers for them last season. So if you trade Frank Clark, you are in dire need of edge rushers. I mean, I think it's already a big need for them. Yeah. If you trade Frank Clark, it becomes even that much bigger of a need. So um, I would think that he's still going to be there just because I don't know how many teams are going to be lining up to not only give him the give up the first round pick that it cost to trade for him, but also that massive, you know, twenty one plus million dollar a year contract. And by the way, when it's a good year for edge rushers. So yeah. I, if I had to guess, I think he's still going to be with the Seahawks at least through next season. And that was my next question. The fact that these teams would have to do all of that, give up multiple picks, give him a huge contract, acquire a guy who's a Pro Bowl level player but does have a few years of tread on the tires as opposed to what you probably know a lot better than me. I'm reading there's lots of quality uh, guys in this draft, especially in the first few rounds, to put heat on the opposing team's quarterback, right? Yeah, and, and you know the the counterpoint to the points that you and I just made there is okay. Well, Frank Clark is a sure thing, and the guys that you draft by definition are not a sure thing. And so, um, you know, if it does happen, I think that's the that that's the rationale that a team is going to use and say, hey, we know exactly what Frank Clark is. He's not only a really good edge rusher, he's also a, he's a complete player, right? He plays the run. And, you know, some of these, these prospects that we're talking about drafting in the first round, you know, there may be sort of more one-trick ponies, and we don't even know if that one trick is really going to pan out in the NFL. So um, you know what you have with Clark, but, again, it goes back to the problem. It, it's the double whammy of paying the first-round pick and the $21 million a year contract. And I do think that that would be the starting point for Frank Clark because – um, you know, look at what Demarcus Lawrence just got. Look at what Trey Flowers just got. You know, if, if I'm Frank Clark and his agent, and I spoke with Frank Clark's agent in October, and this was very much the sense that I got, he, he said something along the lines of, hey, if you're a player, you have one chance to max this thing out. Um, you know, $17 million is a lot of money to you and me, and it's a lot of money for a guy who's only made second-round draft pick money but it's not maxing this thing out. Maxing this thing out would be the Demarcus Lawrence type, right. you know, $21 million a year contract. And he could easily say, I'm a more productive player, younger player, healthier player than Demarcus Lawrence. So that's my price point. Brady, have the Seahawks and John Schneider thrown their hands up on giving him such a deal? Are we to assume that either he gets traded before the draft on Thursday or he plays the, the year out? Obviously, he'll threaten to hold out through training camp. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. Any momentum, any thoughts that the Seahawks on the heels of this Russell Wilson deal and before they do Bobby Wagner are going to give in to the to the Lawrence-type contract? Or is this the last year of Frank Clark as a Seahawk football player, regardless of what happens between now and then? 
Yeah, you know, Mitch, I, I really can't say it definitively, but I just get the sense that, that they are planning on him at $17 million a year, uh, or $17 million for 2019. And, and that was sort of a comment that John Schneider made, um, you know, uh, at his charity event Thursday when he was asked, you know, does the, you know, the, the recent landscape at Edge Rusher, or no, I'm sorry, he was asked if, if the Wilson deal, if that changes sort of the approach with Clark and he said, no, you know, we've been budgeting for him at the franchise tag number, which is $17 million and change. You know, I think, I think the problem might be this is that, you know, Frank Clark, I think, as I mentioned, wants 21, maybe 21 and a half million dollars. The Seahawks are saying, okay, why would we pay you that when we have you under contract or we have your rights controlled for 2019 at 17.128 million. That's, that's a pretty big gap to have to bridge. Now it was different for DeMarcus Lawrence because he was, you know, he would have made 20 million and change on a franchise tag. So they only had to bump him up to 21 million was not nearly as big of a gap to bridge as it is with the Seahawks and Frank Clark. So um, if I had to guess, I, I think the most likely scenario is him playing the franchise tag this year, and then we'll see what happens. Okay, define we'll see what happens. If he plays on the franchise tag this year, I would imagine that you would tell us that it becomes even less likely that uh, he'd be a Seahawk the following year uh, on a long-term deal, or maybe you think that they would do a long-term deal with him after the season's over. Yeah, well, there's two things there. I mean, that's where the Bobby Wagner situation comes in because you know if you can't get a deal done – with Wagner this year, then you can only franchise one of those guys, right? Now, there is sort of a technicality there. In the final year of the CBA, which would be next year, teams would be allowed to use the franchise tag as well as the transition tag, which they normally wouldn't do. However, that's not really going to do the Seahawks a lot of good because if you put a transition tag on either one of those guys, teams are going to be lining up to, to sign them. So you have to get one of those guys done in order to be able to have the franchise tag at your okay. disposal. Okay. Um, and the other point there is, look, Frank could maybe ease some of their concerns. And, and you know, what if he puts up another you know, 15 sack season, stays healthy? Maybe they feel more comfortable about going to that price. Now, the, the other point there is that if the price is 21 now, it'll be in more. Frank's mind, yeah. if, if he does that, if he has a yeah. season like the one I just described, then yeah. you're talking 22, 23. So um, it's sort of a moving target. But um, I, I don't think that if he doesn't play out this year, or if he doesn't get a deal this year, I wouldn't close the door on him getting a deal after next season. Before we finish with the Russell Wilson deal and the fallout of the Russell Wilson deal and some of the things that you guys at ESPN, Brady Henderson and Adam Schefter have reported, Brady is the Seahawks insider for the ESPN group and ESPN.com. Before we get there, talk to me about boxes that you'd think John Schneider would like to check on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We know that his back is against the wall with so few picks right now. We'll see if he adds picks along the way. But what is it that you think they really, really, really want and need to accomplish to make this team even a better playoff contender in 2019, Brady? I'll start with the obvious one, which is defensive line. And so much of the conversation has been about, you know, you need an edge rusher, which you do because of the Frank Clark situation. And, you know, you need one independent of that. Um, so there's that. There's also defensive tackle. And that's why I had Dexter Lawrence uh, as my pick for their, their first rounder. You know, their run defense was bad last year, 4.9 yards per carry. That was the third worst mark in the NFL the worst mark of the Pete Carroll era. So for as much you know conversation as there has been about 
needing, needing an edge rusher, well, you also need to reinforce the middle of that defensive line. Um, and Pete Carroll has even been on record saying, yeah, that is, you know, we need a run-stuffing defensive tackle. That is a big need for us. He was saying that all the way back at the owners' meetings last month, and they haven't really done anything to address that. So those two positions, I would also say uh, wide receiver, just because of, you know, the Doug Baldwin situation. I think we talked about this last time. Um, you know, we know that Doug Baldwin is coming off three surgeries. John Schneider just confirmed that he, he recently had the sports hernia surgery. Um, he's getting up there in age, 30 years old. And I also think you have to wonder, it's not just the physical toll of all those injuries and all the surgeries. It's, it's the emotional, mental toll. And you have to wonder how much longer a guy is going to want to put himself through that. So defensive line, wide receiver, um, you know, it's a good linebacker draft. It's a good safety draft. And, you know, Pete Carroll has, has talked up Delano Hill quite a bit. Um, so he would give you the impression, if you, just, if you just sort of listen to what Pete Carroll is saying, would give you the impression that they're comfortable rolling with Delano Hill next to Bradley McDougald and having Tedrick Thompson as that backup. Then again, they've met with a lot of those, you know, those sort of early round safeties. They've, they've shown some interest in those guys. So those would be the four positions that I would say. Um, and then, you know, they're always looking for cornerbacks. So if you could right. acquire a pick, you know, maybe it's a cornerback, maybe a linebacker to add some depth there. Uh, but in terms of early round positions, I think those would be the four well, most likely. I was, Brady, I was wondering about the nickel spot in that secondary we know how vital the nickel position has become that third corner has become over the years in the National Football League and I was also wondering to myself and now aloud about Sweezy's spot on the offensive line yeah well if the season started now I think they would be going with Akeem King at nickel and he maybe isn't that prototypical sort of nickelback build we think of those as the shorter you know Justin Coleman Jeremy Lane types um, but, you know, they very much consider him a possibility there, and they gave him a little bit of money, I'm talking about Akeem King, uh, to sign him, re-sign him as, an un, as a restricted free agent. So he would be the leading guy. You know, they've got some other guys behind him, Jeremy Boykins, Callan Reed, who would be in that mix. Um, but I don't feel like, you know, because they, they have Akeem King there, I feel like they could go with him and maybe not feel like that is a position they absolutely have to address in the draft. And then, you know, it's sort of the same with, with guard, I could certainly see them making a pick there, um, especially considering that, look, Mike Ayupati, as good of a player as he was earlier in his yeah, career, yeah. talking about an all-pro, Pro Bowl guy, he has had a bunch of injury issues of late. Um, now, the other part there is, you know, they've got Easton, Easton Posick there, and he's sort of in a weird spot where drafted by the previous offensive line coach, hasn't really done a whole lot over the first two years. But he was a pretty highly drafted guy, and so I, I don't think he, you know, I, I think that they might feel like they still have something in him. So um, in terms of spending like a first or second round pick, you know, I think it would have to be a really highly rated guy would have to fall to them, and the guy, other guys they really like would have to not be there in order for it to be a guard um, in one of those first couple picks. Uh, I, um, I, just because Ethan Posick. All right, Brady Henderson, follow him on the Twitter. Before you leave us um, – Give us some fallout on the Wilson deal as more and more details become available. I know that you reported uh, a couple of different times on ESPN.com, Brady, that his agents tried like the Dickens to try to tie his, his deal year to year, year, his annual compensation to the salary cap to no avail. That would have been kind of a precedenting situation in the National Football League. I've never heard of anybody, any quarterback ever doing that. So they failed at that, but they got the no trade. Uh, what are some of your thoughts now that the deal is in our rearview mirror? 
Yeah, you know, they, they did. Like you said, they, they did want to tie that compensation to the salary cap just to ensure or to prevent uh, what happened last time, which was, you know, Wilson signed that deal in 2015. He was just a hair under Aaron Rodgers at number two in terms of annual average. Very quickly, you know, in the four years after that, fell all the way down to 12th. So his side wanted to, to do something, incorporate some sort of mechanism that would prevent that. The problem is it's just a very tough ask for a team to be the first team to do that, right? You know, it would have been more realistic had Wilson gone the franchise tag route and became an unrestricted free agent and had, you know, teams lining up to sign him. Then he would have been he would have had the leverage, frankly, to pull that off. But it, it's just maybe not as realistic when you're talking about asking one team to set that precedent. Um, so, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll see it someday. And, and this this would have been the guy to do it. Um, but it just it just wasn't maybe realistic, just given the fact that he was not yet having other teams bidding for him. But all in all, Brady, reasonable numbers against the salary cap anyway, especially if you compare them to the year to year. If they had gone over the next three years, year to year to year with the franchise tags, these are actually more favorable numbers to the cap than those would have been a million dollars more this year the same amount next year, and I think it's $6 million less against the cap with this new deal than it would have been on the second franchise tag. Isn't that right? Yeah, it, it, and it's a good point. It's a point that's worth making because people look at the, the size of the contract and the average, and they say, well, gosh, how are you going to possibly build a, you know, a Super Bowl-caliber team around him? And I would say, okay, look at what would have been the alternative, which would have been going that franchise tag route. And you know, the salaries may not have been as high as the average, uh, that he has now, but the, the the downside of the franchise tag is that you don't have the opportunity to defer those cap charges on the later seasons when the cap is higher. So um, he would have that would have been a very unwieldy. You know, it already is going to be sort of unwieldy, but it would have been even more so had it just been the franchise tag salary counting all at once against that year's cap. Brady Henderson, uh, ESPN insider, Seahawks insider for ESPN and ESPN.com. You do great work, Brady. I love it. I love it, especially this time of year as we're getting ready for the draft on Thursday. Uh, Our guess is is that they may not even draft on Thursday at all in the first round, but we'll have to kind of wait and see. Safe travels. Enjoy your stay in Bristol, Connecticut, and we'll see you when you're back home. Thanks for being back on Mitch Unfiltered. All right. Thanks for having me, Mitch. Thank you. See you. There he is, Brady Henderson, the terrific Seahawks reporter for ESPN and ESPN.com, on the phone from Bristol, Connecticut, home of the headquarters, of ESPN. I'm really excited about our newest partner, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Jordan Flowers reached out soon after episode one to ask how he and his team could help and be involved with Mitch Unfiltered. And after lots of back and forth, I visited their office about a month ago and was immediately struck with the friendly atmosphere and the business approach of not only Guild Mortgage, which is one of the biggest mortgage lenders in the United States, but the Kirkland Group in particular. If you're in the market for a new home, don't finalize any type of financing until you at least check out Guild Mortgage. Over 55 years as a mortgage bank, one of the oldest around, 2017 J.D. Power number one lender in customer satisfaction. Three of the Kirkland office members alone are top 1% loan officers in the United States. So find the loan to fit your life and select from hundreds of products tailored to your needs. 425-250-3150. That's 425-250-3150. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Fun. 
Unfiltered. With the 10th pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, the Arizona Cardinals select Josh Rosen. Welcome football fans to the NFL Draft. With the first pick, the Arizona Cardinals select... question what the big sports event of the week is. It's the NFL Draft. People love the NFL Draft. And joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline is a guy who knows more about the NFL Draft than just about anybody. He's the national NFL writer, NFL Draft expert for The Athletic, formerly of CBS Sports and CBSSports.com. Dane Brugler is our guest deep in the heart of Texas in the in the Dallas area. Tell me about this this draft preview that you've been doing for years that somebody, somebody nicknamed the Beast. Dane? Yeah, it's something that's a labor of love. You know, it uh, takes a full year to complete, and it covers over 1,000 players. It covers 400 reports, all the pro day information, uh, all the background information. All the it, My job is to paint a picture of who the player is. So even if you're unfamiliar with who that player is in college, uh, you read the report, you understand, uh, you know, not only who he is now, but how he projects to the NFL, what kind of player he's going to be, understand his journey to get to this point. So uh, all the detail that you could possibly want on all these players that we'll be talking about throughout the draft. So tell me, what are your top three storylines, Dane, as we count our hours to the NFL draft? Where, where's the intrigue this year? Uh, are the storylines a certain player? Is it a certain NFL team? Is it the possibility of trades? Kind of go down, if you were going to do a piece on just the top three or four uh, intriguing storylines as we as we walk our way to the draft, what would they be? Uh, first and foremost, um, what, everything starts with the quarterback, right? And Kyler Murray going number one, which we all assume to happen. Uh, let's, so let's just say that if that does happen, Kyler Murray goes one of the Cardinals. Who's that second quarterback off the board? Who's the third quarterback? Who's the fourth quarterback? We, we all believe that Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State Drew Locke from Missouri and Daniel Jones from Duke will all be first round picks, but trying to peg exactly where and to what team is really a chore to figure out. Uh, And, you know, you talk to people around the league, they really don't have a good feel for where these quarterbacks are going to end up. It's really fascinating. And you have to also include Josh Rosen in that conversation. He's almost like a prospect in this class again, because if the Cardinals go Kyler Murray at one, Josh Rosen is going to be on the, on the market. And, you know, we have to talk about him as, you know, for one of these landing spots, uh, teams looking for a quarterback. So it really will be something we, that is going to demand or command the conversation uh, around one of the draft. Uh, some other storylines we'll be looking at, uh, you know, running back. Will we see a running back drafted in the first round this year? Josh uh, Jacobs from Alabama, the top running back this year. Uh, that's pretty much the consensus. Does he end up going in the first 32 picks? I think he's certainly – deserving uh, in terms of his skill set and his talent but you know he's he's uh, never finished better than third uh, at Alabama in rushing uh, any of the last three years uh, wasn't asked to be the guy uh, will that affect him and you know there's some teams that just you know won't draft a running back in the first round right. so Josh Jacobs will he go in the first round uh, and then I'm looking at these corners it's not a great cornerback class early I think there's I love the depth in the second rounds third rounds but in the top 25, we don't have a lock corner that's going to for sure go in that, that range. But we know corner is such an important position in today's NFL. You can make a case that 
the third most important position on your roster behind quarterback and pass rusher. Right. So where does that first corner go in the top 25? Is there, you know, none of these corners are top 25 locks, but we probably have one of them go or two of them go. It's just trying to figure out where. All right. I've got some follow-up questions to items number one and three on your storyline list. Let's go backwards. You just talked about the corners. Byron Murphy from out here at the University of Washington. First corner taken. Is he the guy that everybody's watching to see whether he'll go up in the in the 25s, in the top 25s? Yeah, I think it comes down to Greedy Williams from LSU or Byron Murphy from Washington. Uh, you know, Greedy's the you know, 6'1", 4'3", athlete, and they're kind of opposites because Byron Murphy – by NFL standards, he's short and he's slow. He's under 5'11", and he ran a 4.55 40-yard dash. Uh, so by NFL standards, that's not ideal for a corner, especially in the first round. And Greedy's the opposite. But on the flip side, Byron Murphy has everything else that you want. Uh, the instincts, the ball skills, the toughness, the yeah. competitiveness. Yeah. Uh, he can hold, up, hold his own and run defense. So there's so much to like about Byron Murphy if you can look past the lack of elite size and speed and greedy Williams. He has the speed and the size, but you do worry about uh, some of the, the competitiveness. Will he leave production on the field? Uh, you know, he's a guy that needs to be more technically sound. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if the team goes with the, the natural traits or the guy that's probably just the better cornerback uh, in terms of who will be the first corner drafted. Let's go back to item number one in Kyler Murley. You said it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that Arizona will take him number one. Let's play the game if they don't. Mm -hmm. Will the Cardinals draft somebody else, or will the Cardinals trade the pick and add more picks along the way? Well, if they don't draft Kyler Murray, I would expect them to trade out. That would be the smart thing to do, in my opinion, just because this is a team that earned that number one pick. Uh, They were a bad team last year. They need to get better in so many different areas. And so if you have a chance to pick up uh, you know, that draft capital, not only in this class, but maybe a future first round. Uh, you know, the Raiders, uh, I think they'd love to get their hands on Kyler Murray. They have three first round picks this year. Uh, you know, they could be a team to watch for. So I think the Cardinals, there's a good chance if, if whatever happens and if they decide not to go Kyler Murray, I would expect another team to jump up and take Kyler Murray, uh, just trying to figure out who that team would be. But I think the Cardinals really want that draft capital. They know they have a lot of holes to fill and they need to help the offensive line. They need help on defense. They need, they need to upgrade that roster in a lot of different spots. All right. So Dame Brugler is the voice from the athletic. He's the national NFL writer and their NFL draft expert. He's got a huge guide out. If you want to subscribe to the athletic Kyler Murray's going to be the first quarterback taken one way or the other, right? It's either number one or somebody else will take him the first guy at that position. There's no chance that one of these other quarterbacks will get chosen before Murray, correct? Uh, I, I've done the NFL draft long enough to know you can never say no chance, but it would be a huge shock. I mean, I'll say this. At this time last year, there were still a lot of people who thought Sam Darnold was going to go number one. And this year, it's a little more cut and dry uh, in terms of the opinions around the league. Uh, so you can never say never. But, yes, it would be a huge shock if Kyler Murray is not the first quarterback drafted. Okay, biggest difference maker right out of the gate next year in the NFL. Is it Nick Boza? Is it one of those interior defensive linemen? Or is it somebody else? Who makes the biggest difference right out of the gate? It's a little bit of a cop-out, but so much depends on fit. You know, where these guys end up and the opportunity and the teammates around them that are going to help them uh, be productive. But I don't think you can go wrong saying Nick Bosa. 
Um, you know, I think there's a really good chance he ends up at San Francisco with that number two pick. And he's going to a roster that needs help on defense, but they added D Ford, uh, you know, a veteran pass rusher who can help take pressure off uh, the other side when Nick Bosa is trying to get after the quarterback. So what the 49ers have done in free agency and the off season, I think could really allow Nick Bosa to have an immediate impact, not only because of the situation, but he's also, in my opinion, the best player in the draft. Not only does he have the athleticism, the power that you look for coming off the edge, but he's so technically sound. But he understands the dance, how to use his hands, how to break down uh, blockers, how you know the biomechanics of just the, his body control and different things that he does. Very advanced for a 21-year-old. Very yeah. similar to his older brother Joey, yeah. who it didn't take very long for Joey Bosa to be a Pro Bowler. So as long as the medicals are clean and you know he stays healthy, I think Nick Bosa is the answer in terms of an immediate impact and a guy who's going to be a pro bowler. Dane, what's more likely, that the Seattle Seahawks will trade back and add picks or that you will continue to breathe during the, the remainder <laughs> of this interview? Yeah, you know, that's, uh, it would be a shock if, uh, if the Seahawks pick at 21. And, you know, I, everybody in the, in the world knows they want to get down. And so, uh, you know, they just they want to add more draft capital. Four draft picks is not ideal. You, you have more holes to, feel, to fill that, you know, than with the draft picks that you have. So, you know, we'll see what, the, you know, what Schneider decides to do. Does he get the, the value in a trade that's going to be enticing enough? Uh, you know, I think you know, they're hoping. But, uh, you know, everybody knows they want to trade down. And so how will that affect the trade negotiations? And, do they tra- how far are they willing to trade down? Are they willing to trade out of the first round altogether? Or maybe they see uh, the late first round as kind of the sweet spot for some of the players that they have high on their draft board. So I think it'll be interesting to see Hawks. It's, you know, I think it's a very, very, very high chance that they trade back. But then, you know, do they trade back out of the first round completely? Or is there someone in the late first round that they really want to go after? And so they're hoping they can stay in the first round. This is like pin the tail on the donkey, but do you have any names for us? It never works out that nobody ever in a mock draft figures out who the Seahawks are going to draft, so I don't even know why I'm wasting my time. But do you have a name or two if they were to choose to draft at 21 or somewhere late in the first round, as you call it, the sweet spot? Yeah, an interesting name, I think it's Jerry Tillery, uh, Notre Dame defensive lineman, uh, can you know, kind of be that five technique that I think they want to use uh, as, a, as a big part of their defensive front. Uh, you know, six, four and a half, uh, he's 295 pounds. Um, I mean, he's a big guy, long guy and really, really smooth athlete. Um, you know, he's the type of player that has, he's a top 10, 12 talent in this class, but because of some questions about how much he loves football and, you know, I, it, it, it's, it's more of a question of, you know, he has so many interests outside of football and, you know, he's an intellectual, he, he wakes up and he's not thinking about the game plan. He's thinking about the stock market. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, you know, some teams will be a little weary of that, of, of going in with a player like that in the first round because, uh, you know, when things get tough and he's getting his butt kicked by veterans in training camp, is he going to be thinking to himself, shoot, I could be making money, uh, you know, similar yeah. money doing yeah. something else. We were asking the same questions about Josh Rosen last year, right? right? Sure, yeah. sure. And it, it, football passion is something that is hard to – necessarily gauge you know it's not a 40-yard dash you can just put a number on it uh and that's something that the you know a lot of teams are trying to figure out throughout the process and you know we'll find out on draft night if jerry tillery convinced one of the teams we know you know john schneider's not afraid to take chances and it's hard to take chances when you only have you know four you know limited draft picks 
but I think Jerry Tillery could make sense with what they want to do on that defensive line and then also uh, you know, just the fact that I think it fits what John Schneider's done in the past. There's a lot of interior defensive linemen that I'm seeing in these mock drafts go very, very high, and Schneider even said the other day publicly that he, that he needs a defensive tackle. Williams, Wilkins, Oliver, Lawrence, Simmons – any of these guys better than the others? You expect all of them to go in the first round? I think so, uh, and I think there's a good chance that you know the top 20 is going to be dominated by defensive linemen, offensive linemen, and quarterbacks. I mean, 80, 85 percent of the top 20 picks will be those three positions. Uh, we'll see if any of them fall a little bit. Jeffrey Simmons is the wild card, obviously. Not only you know the, the background, the baggage from. Uh, you know, the, the video of him striking a woman before he even enrolled at Mississippi State, but the ACL tear that he had in February when he was preparing for you know, the pre-draft process. And so you, it's almost like a redshirt year for him. Uh, but you're getting, a, you know, he has a discount sticker on him because you're getting a top five or six player in this draft. He yeah. is that type of talent. Yeah. It just can you take a year of him as a kind of a redshirt? And you don't know. You, ACLs in this day and age are – you know, you, you feel pretty good about them, but at the same time, everybody's knee and their rehab is different. So there's a little bit of a risk there, but the reward is high. We sit up here in the Pacific Northwest. So last question for Dane Brugler, who does a great job covering the NFL and the NFL draft for The Athletic. He's got this huge draft preview. If you'd like to subscribe, it's available through subscription to The Athletic and The Athletic website. Before you run on us, Dane, Talk about the Northwest talent. We mentioned Murphy. There's McGarry and Rapp and Sample and Gaskin. Uh, ben Burke-Curvin was the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. There's a kid out of Washington State who's actually a local guy from Woodenville High School, I believe, Andre Dillard, who's a an offensive lineman that should go fairly high in the draft. Talk about some of these names that you have an eye on before you, you run out on us. We could be talking about these guys for hours because there is a lot of talent coming from the area. And, you know, I think it starts with Andre Dillard, who uh, the best feat of any offensive lineman in this draft, he just moves differently than everybody else. The flexibility, the body control. Uh, yeah, I think he's a, a guy that teams in the top 10 will consider. He's not going to have to wait long to hear his name called. Uh, you know, I think the most intriguing name from, uh, you know, those schools is going to be Taylor Rapp. Because that 478 40-yard dash is going to stick out like a sore thumb for a lot of teams. And he's a player that I would consider taking in the first round. I mean, you're getting one of the smartest players in the draft, right place, right time type of guy, and that's not by accident. You love the toughness. Uh, you know, you love what he can do in that strong safety role. But he can also cover a little bit. Uh, but you do question the long speed. And that's something that that 478 is going to stick out for a lot of teams. And a lot of teams will not draft a guy like that in the top 40 picks. But I guarantee you there are some teams in the second round who loved to see that 4-7-8 because all of a sudden he is now a realistic option for them in the second round, and he's going to end up being a great value pick for somebody uh, if he falls out of the first round. What could the Seahawks get for Frank Clark real quickly, Dane? You think they'll trade him before draft day? That, that's another storyline uh, we'll certainly be watching because, you know, I think uh, based on value, I mean, he's worth, uh, a first-round pick and more. Uh, you know, I, I think you immediately start with the first-round pick, and then you know, what else do you get with a Frank Clark? Uh, you know, what else can you squeeze out of a team? Because he's a guy that uh, you you know what you're getting in terms of the power. Uh, he can uh, affect the backfield. What happens? Uh, he can set a hard edge. He can play the run. So you're just getting a reliable player that you feel okay. Uh, adding to your team. So it just depends on the right situation. Is there a team that feels they're a pass rusher away where they would make that move and that type of investment? 
I don't think we're going to see him traded, but, you know, I, I think that's one of the storylines we'll be watching closely. Dane, thanks so very much. Congratulations on all the hard work and all the efforts with The Athletic. Let's catch up sometime after the draft so we can figure out what you think about what went on. Thanks so much. Definitely. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Dane Brugler, the NFL draft expert for The Athletic. You know, Mitch Unfiltered is still only about five months old, and yet I'm proud to say that we've already had the biggest NCAA tournament pool in the Northwest. Why? Because of partners like Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. CEO Tyler Hay, one of the 40 under 40 in the Puget Sound Business Journal, has said from the beginning, we believe in you and want to grow unfiltered in any way possible. Evergreen Golf Call helped me give away 44 prizes in the unfiltered madness, including three incredible trips, and now is handing out a trip for two for a weekend golf bucket list of a lifetime to Pebble Beach to play golf with me. Managing over $2 billion in assets, the 2018 fastest-growing wealth manager by the Puget Sound Business Journal, over three decades of experience, a newsletter that's got 10,000 readers, and even a brand-new podcast coming soon to discuss wealth management with some of the titans in the field. Truth be told, I'd like to be a part of that podcast someday. With offices in Seattle, Portland, and San Francisco, the Napa Valley too, Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Side three twenty now. All three timeouts for the boss. That ball's kicked off and just might do it. And it is Ben Burkhurvin. Fifteen tackles, a pass breakup, and an interception that he takes back twenty-one yards. Most trusted player, most trusted hands. Let's get a little talent here on Mitch Unfiltered. Joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline is the Pac-12 reigning Defensive Player of the Year. Ben Burkirvin is our guest, getting ready to be drafted sometime this week. Ben, congratulations on a stellar college career. Talk to me about what the process has been like and how nerve-wracking these next few days might be for you. You know, honestly, it's, it's a really long process at this point. It's almost, you know, less nerves and more of just wanting kind of to get it over with and know where you're going to be because, I mean, I've really been, you know, working out and getting ready for this since, you know, the week after the Rose Bowl. And as it's been four months now, of kind of almost waiting and watching and just trying to figure out, you know, any little hints you can get, anything here and there to try to figure out where you're going to be. So I'm just, I'm just ready to know where I'm going to be playing football next. Kind of sounds like going to the doctor. You just want to get it over with. Yeah, in a way. I mean, I think there's a, <laughs> there's a little bit of a better result at the end probably than a, a doctor's <laughs> visit. But yeah, it is. It's just a a lot of waiting for, uh, you know, just these next couple days coming up. Go back to when you were a uh, a kid in Northern California that was dreaming about playing college football, dreaming about playing NFL football. Did you ever think or were you confident enough in yourself that you thought, yeah, this day's going to arrive. Someday, I don't know when it's going to be, I'm going to hear my name called in the NFL draft. What was it like for you back in your high school days? I mean, this has been my goal since I was uh, a little kid, so I think there was never really – you know, any doubt that I felt that I could get this done. I thought that, you know, I had the talent and the uh, the work ethic to get here. And obviously it took, um, you know, a lot of hard work. And, you know, there's always, you know, hard days here and there. But it's one of those things where, you know, it's been my, my goal for, for a very, very long time. It's something I've, you know, worked towards my, my whole life, really. You know, I came to Washington. I wanted to come and, you know, prove that I could be a high-level college football player. And I think I, 
I did a pretty good job of showing that. And so now it's trying to you know get in the NFL and so that I can be a high level uh, player at that level too. I think it was 170 some odd tackles, just an amazing senior year. Did you do better than you thought you would do? Did you outperform your expectations or did you always think I'm a defensive player of the year kind of player that can go to Washington and in the Pac-12 dominate like I did? I mean, I think I felt, especially after my junior year, when I uh, you know got a lot more playing time and started getting some starts here and there, that I felt like, you know, if I had a full year where I could, you know, I could start and get, um, you know, a lot of snaps like I did this last year, that I'd be able to, you know, have a pretty big year. And you know, I didn't know I was going to get 170 tackles or anything like that. But I, I, you know, I tell, I told guys on our team, I thought I could get, you know, maybe 140 something like that. So I, I thought I had a good chance to to get some stuff done. And obviously, you know, it worked out well, and we got to, to have a pretty special year, and I got to have a, a good year myself. So it was definitely, a, you know, a pretty incredible year. So Ben, then you go. Ben Burke Curvin is our guest. Then you go to the combine. And this is part of the whole doctor's office visit scenario. You go to the combine. Oh, he's not big enough. He's not athletic enough. He doesn't run fast enough. You have to read all of these things that you don't do, and yet you were the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. How hard is that to see those types of things written and said about you? And, oh, he's a mid-round draft choice. I mean, I think a lot of it makes me chuckle because, you know, a lot of the people saying it are, you know, just sports writers or random people, you know, guys on the Internet who – Probably never, never played ball, and I think you know there's definitely some basis in the the size one because I know I am a, you know, a smaller linebacker. But like you said, the comment, I think I, uh, I think I answered a lot of questions about my athleticism and stuff like that. You know, people saying I wasn't fast enough, and I think I, hopefully, uh, you know, checked all those boxes for teams to see that I, you know, I'm a pretty good athlete. But I think you know it's just one of those things that, you know, comes with you know playing this position is you know people they look for you know the the old school you know six three two forty kind of guys, and obviously. You know, I don't really, I don't really fit that picture. So I think it's easy to, you know, look at me and be like, oh, he's just too small to, to play this position. Or he's not good enough. But I think that, you know, I just, I approach it the same way I've approached football my whole life. Is you know, I just go out and play. And the only people I really feel like I have to prove stuff to is, you know, my teammates, and my coaches. So at the end of the day, you know, they're the ones that you go to battle with, and they're the ones that really matter. So it's just one of those things that, you know, I've gotten used to. I've been told I was too small since you know I was in high school getting recruited. So it's just, it's just kind of a something I've become very, very used to, and it really doesn't bother me anymore. Until, you know, it's uh, someone that matters, like a coach telling me, hey, you're too small to play for or something like that. As a weak side linebacker, is there a certain type of NFL team that plays a certain type of system, Ben, that you would fit better with than maybe some of the others? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely, you know, some of the teams that employ that uh, that kind of hybrid safety inside linebacker kind of guy at that, that will backer spot. And it's becoming, you know, pretty prevalent across the league. I mean, there's still definitely teams that, you know, they play a 3-4 and they're really playing, you know, two – you know, big thumpers in the middle, but a lot of teams in the the four three schemes have a uh, a smaller backer on that weak side. And you know, a lot of the teams I've talked to have been you know those kind of teams, obviously, which makes sense because I, I kind of fit what they're trying to do. Is there a team or two that you can tell us that you felt like there was an extra spark, or there was there was a connection with between them and you and you and them? Um, I mean, you know, it's hard it's hard to prognosticate because there's so much. You know, trying, you know, smoke and mirrors, you know, where they're talking to you and they're trying to, you know, figure you out. Because it's really, it's different than the college recruiting process where you're trying to pick a school. It's kind of the opposite where they're, you're trying to basically pitch yourself to them. But, I mean, I visited the Steelers. I visited the Eagles. I, I talked to the Raiders a good amount, the Titans, the Seahawks. Those are probably the teams that, you know, jump to mind just in terms of the communication, the amount of time I've spent, you know, talking with them, that kind of thing. What would it mean to you if the Seahawks called your name in the, uh, in the you know, the second or third day of the NFL draft? Yeah, that would be incredible. You know, I've gotten to uh, to love Seattle these last four years. I got to be up here, and it would be 
pretty incredible to get to stay up here and keep playing in front of such incredible fans and in such a credible city. And obviously, you know, they're a franchise that has been extremely successful over the last, you know, decade or so. So it would be a pretty special opportunity. Weirdest question that you got in the interview process or at the Combines, Ben? Nothing too weird. I mean, I think probably one of the stranger ones, you know, they have teams that, you know, ask me, you know, what would I rate myself in Madden right now? And they're, like, really serious about, like, why would I give myself that rating, all that sort of stuff, and, you know, <laughs> weird stuff like that, but nothing too too crazy. Ben, we've watched you play. We've watched you kind of grow up, not really grow up, but play and grow up as a football player for sure. There aren't many Washington linebackers that have left the uh, the mark that you left after that incredible final season at the University of Washington. Everybody, I, I speak on behalf of everybody in this community, all the Washington Husky fans, to say thank you for what you did for Washington. Good luck, and we'll be cheering for you every step of the way, no matter where where you wind up. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Unfiltered. Next guest on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline simply had one of the greatest careers in University of Washington history. I don't know how you do better than 5,323 yards, 5.6 yards a carry, 57 rushing touchdowns, big bowl games, four 1,000-yard seasons. Miles, is there anything I'm leaving out? What am I leaving out, Miles Gaskin? <laughs> you ain't leaving out nothing. Yeah, man, thank you. Thank you for letting me on the air and let me thank you for all that, man. It was a lot of fun. Tell me what stands out to you. What what are some of the great moments? Which record you rewrote the the record books? What which of all these things stand out to Miles Gaskin? Um, I'll probably say just uh, probably that touchdown record, probably that one. Okay, that's probably the one. No yeah. nose for the goal line, fifty-seven rushing touchdowns. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. So uh, now, are you ready for the next chapter? It's probably going to be a hectic couple of days for you. Just waiting, being patient. Um, I know. I know there's a lot of kind of nerves going on, but I'm definitely enjoying the experience for what it is and just ready for what's to come. I just had BBK on the podcast, and I asked him after all the after all the success uh, in college, you get to go to the combine and you get to hear about all the things that you're not. You're not tall <laughs> enough. You're not fast enough. You're a third day pick. Yada yada yada. Uh, how does it? Uh, how do you feel about hearing and reading those things? How much does it bother you, Miles? Oh, it bothers me a good amount, but at the same time, uh, I know what I can bring to the table. And uh, I think those things are also um, just kind of a, what I can make, get better at. I mean, obviously, I can't get taller, but outside of that, those are the things I can get better at. And uh, I look at those as challenges. I think it's those people that do say those things or negative things or things that I cannot do as non-believers and I want to prove them wrong and embarrass their opinion. So that's how, how I look at it. So how do you sell yourself when you go on these trips and when you talk to these teams and when you visit with different personnel people around the NFL? What do you say to these guys to, to convince them that, hey, I'm the real deal? Um, I'll let them know that I'm going to do anything to win. Um, I'm, I'm ready to dive into any culture, uh, whichever, wherever I go. Um, get ready to just 
get that playbook down as soon as I possibly can. And uh, I'm gonna work harder than anybody else. Just out of just off of principle. That's just how I was raised. I, I've always played football, and uh, I'm always trying to level up my game. And uh, if somebody's ahead of me, I mean, when I do go someplace, somebody will be ahead of me. Um, I'm always trying to up my game to get to them. And then once hopefully I get to a starting position, I, I want to level up my game to be the best running back I can possibly be. So that's how I look at it. That's why. That's why I say, uh, just, just re- really ready to work and win games. I mean, that's that's how I look at it. Miles Gaskin is our guest. Do you have any feel? Do you have any idea? Did you click with certain teams, um, different people that you interviewed with, or do you have absolutely no earthly idea what team went in the draft and all that stuff? I have no idea. Um, I would love to say that I did, but no idea. Um, <laughs> So I'm very, I'm very just kind of enjoying it for what it is and uh, just waiting and praying on when I get my name called, just really excited to be wherever I am and just really ready to make an impact and get ready, get back to football. Like this whole process has been, been a lot, of course. I mean, it's something you dream of, dream of as a little dude, but you don't think about how much it takes on you, just kind of mental and how much waiting it is when you're a young guy, but now that now that it's almost over, I'm very excited to just get back to football, uh, getting back to workout workouts, and getting back to learning the playbook, and just getting ready for a season. Actually, just getting ready to get back on the field. I asked BBK what the strangest, what the weirdest question he was asked through all of this, and he said he was asked what he would rate himself, what numbers he would give himself on Madden football, and then to defend himself <laughs> on that. Uh, did you get asked any qu- any crazy questions throughout the process? No, nah, I wish I would have got asked that one. That was a pretty good one. But uh, no, I did not get asked any weird questions like that. Um, pretty pretty straightforward with me. But uh, yeah. And so I'll ask you, what would you have rated <laughs> you? What would you have rated yourself at Madden? What would your What would your specs be on Madden football? Uh, shoot, I'm probably like a, as a rookie, probably like an 80, 85 okay. as a rookie. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's see. So let me ask it to you this way, and of course you'd like to be a first-round draft choice like the rest of us, but if it doesn't go in that direction and it's starting to look like you're going to be a late, late round pick, I've always wondered, is it better to be, let's say, a last-round pick from somebody, or is it better just at that point to not be drafted and then go sign as a free agent with with a place that's comfortable to you? For me personally, I'd love to hear my name called. Um, That's kind of always been my dream, and – I think for me, I, I want to be drafted. That's that's always been my plan. But I, I do hear both sides of the argument. I mean, talk to my agent about it. Just kind of just kind of learn the ins and outs of this new in the NFL. Like it's very new to me, so you learn yeah. things. And uh, but uh, I, I do want to hear my name called. I mean, if it's late, it, it is what it is. But I, I do want to hear my name called on draft day. I want I want a team to be for like to want me uh, as bad as I want to play for them. So. The name is Miles Gaskin. He holds just about every running back record the University of Washington has to offer. Let me ask you a little tricky question for you to think about for a second. Obvi- obviously, coming back for your last year was a great a great decision from a UW experience standpoint. You rewrote the record books. You got another Pac-12 title. You went to a Rose Bowl. You had a lot of fun. So from that end of it, it was great decision. Was it a good decision looking back on it from an NFL draft perspective? If you had to do it all over again, would you have been better off just taking 
your 5'9", 5'10", frame, whatever you are, whatever Miles Gaskin is that he can't change, would it have been better for you to do that a year ago rather than now, do you think? Um, I guess you could say so, yeah. I mean, you could. Uh, if you're just speaking on just the football aspect of it, just NFL and all that type of stuff, um, you could say that, uh, that it was probably a better idea to leave as a junior. But um, it wasn't It wasn't just that for me at all. Um, I wanted to graduate. I did graduate. Um, I wanted to win some more games. I wanted to be a leader. I wanted to be in this program another year. I wanted to be around my, my, my best friends and win some more games. I wanted to grow more as a leader and as a football player. I think I, I, think I learned the game a lot more. Mm-hmm. I think I grew up as a man a lot more just in the sense of just kind of Making my own decisions, being a being a twenty one year old dude in college, and kind of becoming more responsible. So when I do end up in a city that I don't know anybody in, I can operate better by myself. I don't. I think I grew up a lot off the field that will help me on the field. So I, I, I will say, I mean, you can hear both arguments, but for me, I'm very happy that I stayed another year. So. Miles, if I had come to that young guy at the I don't know Linwood Boys and Girls Club or or, or Odehi, and I grabbed you and I said, you realize when you look in the mirror, you're going to end up being the most prolific running back from a statistical standpoint in University of Washington history. Would you have called me a crazy old man? What are you talking about? No way. Or, or would you have said, yep, I believe you. I believe that's exactly what I'm going to do. I was like, yeah, that's exactly what's about to happen. (laughs) Um, That's a little dude, yeah. Um, I'm probably the most confident little dude you can imagine. I mean, (laughs) even now, I kind of look back at myself as like, man, you kind of talked a lot of trash when you were a little guy. (laughs) But, uh, (laughs) I mean, that's kind of just being a young dude. But uh, definitely when I was a little dude, yeah, I would agree with you 110%. (laughs) Really? All right, tell tell Huskies fans how comfortable they should be about the future of the running back position. You know, when we go out and watch Husky football, it's going to be weird not seeing this guy Gaskin running around. I mean, it's been a long, long time since you weren't scoring touchdowns at the University of Washington. Ahmed and McGrew and Pleasant and the younger guys, Newton. Uh, give give Washington fans who are listening to this podcast right now a sense of what they're in store for as far as these running backs that are behind you? Um, you're going to see some dudes that run a lot different than me. So at, so these dudes are going to bring it. Um, I mean, I learned a lot from them just in my time being there. Um, and in the sense of, like, it wasn't always talking about me being, like, the older guy and just kind of talking to them and trying to coach them up. Them guys helped me out a lot just as much as I helped them. They used to coach me up throughout camp, throughout throughout games, like, hey, Miles, you might want to try this. So, the, the football knowledge is there. The drive is there. So don't be too worried about it at all. You know, you might end up seeing some dudes making, breaking some of my records. My records might not last. No, no. None of these guys are breaking any of your record. All right. I've saved, I've saved the hardest question for last. Now, I'm a, I'm a Huskies fan, but I don't remember every single highlight, so you might have to help me with this. I right. want to know the best Miles Gaskin run. In his for one run in his four year, if you were going to sit down and you that cocky little kid that you just talked about was going <laughs> to sit down and you were going to watch over and over and over on YouTube or something, you're going to watch one Miles Gaskin run from his four years. Which run would it be? Um, 
man. That's a good one. Uh, there's a few up there with the one. I'll probably go with the, the what was it, the Zaxby's Bull when I kind of reverse field, ran it all the way down my freshman year. It was like an 80 yard run. That, that was that was the one. I mean, last game of the year as a freshman, kind of putting the stamp on the game for us to win that game. I mean, that was still early in the game, but for us to win that game, kind of score. I think I scored like four touchdowns in that game. Are we and, talking? Uh, are we talking about the Dallas Bull? The Dallas Bull? Yep. Yeah. And yep, so you, were, yep. I'm going to go back and look for it because I don't remember. So it was a reverse field, eighty yard, reverse the field, eighty yard touchdown run. Yeah, I was going to the to the right uh, on an outside zone play. We were good, and then uh, kind of dudes over pursued it, turned it back around, yeah. broke it out to yeah. the other side. So it's yeah. kind, it's kind of sad that your your favorite run was your first year. I, I'm a little, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna cry for you. All the nah, runs. Your favorite run was your first year, your freshman year, huh? Absolutely. The first bowl game. I, I mean, like, outside of just being excited. My freshman year, I had the time of my life just playing ball. I, I mean, I did every year, but as a freshman, for it all to be new, I was wide-eyed as I could possibly be. So, uh, And, I I mean, you want to go to that, probably like my last touchdown against uh, Ohio State, stretching over the goal line. Yeah, that yeah, pretty yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. That one I remember. Miles, congratulations. Uh, it's great to talk to a local guy who makes good. As I said, the, the record book, your, your mark on the Washington records books, it's very safe. Uh, 5,323 <laughs> yards, 57 rushing touchdowns. You played in four bowl games, three of them huge bowl games. You played in a national championship playoff. You had four 1,000-yard seasons, which I don't, I don't think any Pac-12 running back has ever done. Uh, you have a lot to be proud of. And Washington fans love you, and they'll be cheering for you on draft day, whenever that name is called, whether it's the first day, second day, third day, even if it's an undrafted free agent, we'll be all cheering for you here in the Pacific Northwest. Congratulations on your career, and thanks for joining us on the podcast. Appreciate it very much. So there they are, a couple of very popular Husky football players hoping for some good luck this week in the NFL draft, BBK, and of course, Miles Gaskin. You know, it seems like just about every day that I log on to Twitter to find tweets and pictures from listeners around the Puget Sound that are enjoying Zeke's Pizza. And so many of them say that they're proud to support Zeke's because of Zeke's support of this enterprise, Unfiltered. Ryan Angel tweets, What do I do when my family's out of town? Half beast mode, half Puget pounder at Zeke's Issaquah. At Sean C. Kelly, 83 tweets, Turns out Amelie likes Zeke's Pizza as much as Mommy and Daddy. Proud to support those who support you. I could go on and on, and I would love to see more. So send me a tweet from any of the 16 great Zeke's Pizza locations from Linwood south to Tacoma, a proud Northwest company that features amazing pizza, fantastic salads, a tremendous assortment of craft beer, which they deliver, by the way, and, and... A great family environment to have a terrific meal and watch a ball game. Get ready, Zeeks. Seahawks Sundays will be here before you know it, and I'm going to be making the Zeeks tour to watch the Hawks on Sundays in the fall. Zeeks Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Before we finish up episode number 36 with Jason D. Hamilton, uh, a couple of items. We talked a lot on 35P about Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson had just agreed to the big right. new contract before the deadline, the big $107 million 
guaranteed 35 a year, $65 million signing bonus. Hey, Seattle, we got a deal. A lot of our listeners that are listening to this episode didn't hear episode 35P. Mm -hmm. So let's give a quick thought on what we thought about the extension, the big money extension to Russell Wilson. I think we, well, I'm not going to speak for you. I liked it. Yeah. I, I thought that it was, uh, I don't want to say a friendly deal. Obviously, when you're breaking records, it's not that friendly, but it's a friendly deal in the sense that it, it allowed the Seahawks to still have some flexibility. It gave Russell Wilson what he wanted, some security and some guaranteed money. A lot of that being front-loaded but amortized over the course of the contract. It, it makes the numbers per year not as punitive Mm -hmm. right i think since the conversation we had and today it sounds like there's some new money that we didn't discuss that potentially he can earn but overall i think it's a it's a good deal i think it's a win-win let me underscore what you just said if you hadn't signed him to the deal and this is what we talked about on 35p right uh, you would have had two choices move him move him along or go year to year you still had control over him if you wanted control over him for three years. Right. $85 million or $86 million. So had you gone that route, let's call it the a la carte route. Right. Okay? Right. He would have counted against the cap 25 point something this year, 31 on a franchise tag next year, 38 on the following year, and then the gone. relationship is over. Yeah, it's gone. There's no. It's like Kirk Cousins. There's no coming back yep. now. Yep. Okay? Because... You've now for three years refused to give him his big balloon right. money. So the, the relationship's over. He goes somewhere else after three years. You sign him to this deal, and here are his salary cap hits the next three years compared to the a la carte route where mm-hmm. you lose him. Mm-hmm. First of all, he's happy now, right? 100%. He's willing to entertain the idea of being a Seahawk for life, yeah. Even after this contract, yeah. and I don't know if you want him then or not. Yeah. We'll see. He's recruiting free agents now. Right. He's doing all those things that he wasn't doing. He was not. He's a happy camper, right? Twenty six point three against the cap this way, as opposed to twenty five and change. So just a million dollars more. Yeah. Um, next year thirty one versus thirty one. It's a wash. The third year, he's 32 against the cap versus 38 in the a la carte route. Mm-hmm. So in the first three years, giving him all of this money, making him a happy camper, having him in his mind say, all right, I'm, I'm open to the idea of playing my whole life here. Right. You're actually better against the cap over the first three years than you would have been in the a la carte yep. process. Yep, yep. Okay? Mm-hmm. And then year four is 37 and then year five is 39. Those are pretty big numbers, but we don't know what the salary cap is going to be. Right. We don't know about the gambling money that you've heard so much about. Right. We don't know about the, the the television, the new television contract. We're not sure what huge percentage of the cap he'll cost. Now, the interesting thing is you use those numbers to project what his franchise tag numbers would be after this contract. So if they get into this situation again, let's assume, you know, he's 31. He's going to play this year, I think, at 31 years of age. So three years into this, he's going to be 31, 32, 33, getting ready to play the fourth year of the contract. Mm -hmm. All right. If he's still one of the elite quarterbacks, he's got two years left on this deal at 37 and 39 salary cap hits. Yep. Ask me what his franchise tag numbers would be if you franchised him. It's going to have a four. Franchise tag year one, 46.8 million. There's a five coming, isn't there? Franchise tag year two, 
56 million dollars holy if the same rules are in place then right that are in place now those would be his exclusive franchise tag numbers at the end of this contract so he would be 31 32 33 34 35 36 and 37 if you wanted to keep him two years beyond the end of this contract without giving him a new deal so he knows this the question is if he's still playing you know, all High pro level, football yeah. with two years left, he knows that the Seahawks are looking down the barrel at 46, 8 and 50. He's going to get a new deal. Oh, of course. I mean, there's just, there's no way this deal gets to the end if he's still playing high quality football. There's just no way. Not, not mean, a chance. Unless they're going to let him just play the 37 and the 39, the five years, and then just let him walk. I don't know how in the, I don't care not, what the, I don't care what the cap is in right. 2024 and 25. A $56 million hit, <laughs> like that is massive. Yeah, and it's all based on on the numbers anyway, uh, some of the interest. Do you know, before we get out of here, a couple of more topics. Do you know the name James Holtzauer? Does that name mean anything to you? No, no. You don't know the name James Holtzauer? I, I want to make sure I got the name right. James Holtzauer. I don't believe so, no. Are you not following the sensation that is the Jeopardy champion? Do you, are you not following this story? No. Do you not know anything about this story? Ken Jennings. Yes. I recall from years ago. He's an afterthought. This guy's better? He's going down hard. This Ken guy's Jennings. better. Well, we're going to find out. Okay. I'll just give you some stats. Okay. First of all, ask me what James Holtzauer does Well, first for of all, living. let's tell people what this is about. Everybody knows. You're the only one who doesn't. Oh. <laughs> Okay, what does James Holtzauer do for a living? He is a professional sports gambler. That's his profession. That's that is his job. his job. Yes. Okay. He's the smartest guy in the world, and he has gone. I think he lives in. He's Vegas. a handicapper. No, he's a gambler. Just he's a, gambler. a gambler. He makes okay. his money gambling. Okay. He's a gambler. Okay. He's a sports gambler. Okay. Let me get this straight. When you told me he's a sports gambler, and I tried to take it in a bunch of different ways, you really, no, he's just a sports gambler. He's a gambler. That's what he does. That's what he does. Okay. He's got a way of, he, he makes money, he's like a whale. He's like a, uh, yeah. he's like a sharp. Yeah. James Holtzauer. Yeah. He used to, as a kid with his grandmother, watch Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And he promised her before she died that someday he would go on Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And he's on Jeopardy. Yeah. And if you're not following it, you're the only guy in the world not following it. Yeah. Well, he's won 11 times in a row. Okay. Okay. He has, in his last win, he won $131,127 on one show. Okay. The four biggest winning shows in the history of Jeopardy, he owns all four. Do you know how your buddy, I'm glad that you know Ken Jennings. I'm glad that you and him are on a first name Yeah, basis. yeah, I know. That's my guy, Ken. You know how many times he won in a row? I thought it was like nine or something. He won 74 games in a row. <laughs> okay. okay. This tells you like, Jeopardy's not my deal. Uh, apparently not. My guy, Alex Trebek, though. Okay, yeah. okay. All right. He won 74 games in a row. 74 wow. shows in a row, your boy That's Ken insane. Jennings. Okay? You know what? how much money total he won over those 74 shows to, be, to become the biggest winner in the history of Jeopardy? 200 grand. 2.5 million total. I'm so off. You're this off. Is, this is like the worst Jay Ham prediction show ever. You don't have to you don't have to just hear me out. Yeah. Your boy James Holtzauer, the professional sports gambler, yeah. has won eight hundred and fifty thousand in eleven shows. Ken Jennings won two point five million in seventy four 
shows. Going down. Like he's going, you said. He is he's going, going down hard. And I have this question, and it's all over the newspapers. I kid you not, all over the news. Yeah. This guy. But he, are you he, watching? He literally, yeah. He literally doesn't miss one question the whole show. He never misses a question. And when he gets to Double Jeopardy, Double Jeopardy he bets everything every time to try to he's maximize got, he's got, the whole He's deal. got this whole shtick on how he's going to do this. And he just bets as much as he can bet just about every single time until Final Jeopardy where he makes sure he doesn't lose. But And he never misses a question. And so here's my, here's my question to you that has nothing to do with Jeopardy. Yeah. The season ended. They're months ahead. They're done for the season. Alex is done for the season. I know he's real sick. Yeah, he's yeah. done for the season, yeah. right? Months and months of shows have been shot since the one that we're watching on TV, this 11th win in a row. Mm-hmm. How do they keep it a secret? How do they keep it from us? I'm serious. Oh, you are. You're asking a question that has There's nothing. There's a studio to... audience in every one of these yeah, shows. But, but they don't. How is not somebody saying, hey, I I can tell you how many he won. I was there when he lost. But, or be, I was there when he missed a question. How is how, No one's talking. How about no? How, how could that be that nobody's chirping? Because they're probably recorded individually right different yeah. studio audiences yeah they don't know which which show they're seeing they don't know chronologically wh- yeah they which do a- why would they because know that? he's announced at the beginning of the show and our champion after 13 days our 13 <laughs> with a grand total you know how they say it he's won our champion has amassed 1.4 million dollars our yeah. champion has amassed there's been studio audience after studio months and months and months of individual studio audiences yeah. why i want to know i can't wait I don't want to wait for another couple of months to see if he knocks off Jennings. I want to know now. And there are literally thousands of people who know the answer to this and no one's talking. I've got to- How do I find out? There's got to be. Why is nobody chirping? Do they sign non-disclosures? Do they have to- oh does, does, When you go and be in the audience for this yeah. thing, are you signing something when you walk out the door that I promise? And what do you? And what is the penalty if you're a studio audience member and you happen to tell Mitch yeah. on his podcast, hey- I was there when Holt Sauer won his 42nd Put it out game there on in Twitter. a row. Put it out there on Twitter and ask. Ask anyone. Has anyone been in the studio audience? I know the answer is yes. Okay. So how come no one's talking? I, As my kids would say to me yes. when you get worked up, yeah. she's like, you are pressed. You are super I pressed. Am. And guess what? Maybe, just maybe, I don't mean to blow your mind here. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. When they know that they got a contestant that – has a chance to be special no more live studio audience oh really now that's interesting they go straight laugh track or like soundtrack or whatever because they know we've been down this road before we've got a ken jennings type person we're locking it down really not really. I'm throwing it out yeah, there as a I think conspiracy that gr- theory. That like, could be. You kind of get the feeling if you've done this. this There's show's just been no on the, come show's on, you, been on the air 30 years. People talk. You know people of talk. Of course they do. There's not one person that's willing to whisper on Twitter anonymously, put the shadows up next to change his voice tone or of something. Course. You know, talk through some sort of a synthesizer and right. say, <laughs> I was there when Jerry Tolstar won 2.8 million. Right. I, I just want to know. I can't wait. So all you'd have to do in my scenario. Yeah. All the employees of the show, they're NDA'd anyway. Okay. They, they, they're well, not they talking. could lose. There's something to lose. Yeah. They're what, in, is the, what is the dude in the shorts that's in L.A. for his kid's spring bait break? Right. What does he have to lose if he chirps a little bit? 
But that you, guy. All you have to worry about is that the two other contestants, which you also NDA and say, like, you cannot talk about this show or yeah. anything about it. So you, you lock it down. I am impressed, though, that you're you're that in you on gotta this You've got to watch this. I haven't paid not boo. Jayham, not boo to you got to you got to watch this guy. And he's cocky. you got to watch well, this like, guy. It's like 7 o'clock or 7.30 it's or something? It's 7.30. 7.30. Yeah. Pacific. Yeah. Yeah. For you gotta those, watch for those listening around the globe. Uh, we're talking about seven thirty Pacific. Yeah. Uh, okay, a couple of uh, tweets. Okay. Jeff Evans wants to know: uh, Could you explain the origin, Jay Ham, of the Faithful Thirty Nine and the eventual Faithful Forty One and a Half? Can you explain that? That's your deal. Oh, again, my that's deal. my deal. Yeah. Um, it's not a great story. When I first came to town, I was doing the midday show. No one was listening. Mm-hmm. We were losing people left and right. The mm-hmm. radio. I mean, I was in my, I was on my way out of town quickly, mm-hmm. and it was clear that nobody was listening. And I said, "Hey," I used to say all the time, th- "You know, there's like 39 people listening." Yeah. You know, I'd have a guest on. I'd say, "Answer me this question. You don't have to worry. Nobody's going to hear it because there's like 39 people." And then somebody called in. Like we we'd go to caller segments, and not one phone line would ring. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's not funny, that's especially true. when your career's on the line, but that's kind of funny. Like, okay, let's open up the phone lines. Not <laughs> no a phone call. crickets. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, somebody call from the back. To- not, not even a guy that was in a Jeopardy studio audience. Nobody would call. Oh. And then one guy called that first year and said, hey, I'm one of the faithful 39 members. Done. Boom. That's so it. I called it. For, that was it. That call. Some some guy out there is probably listening right now going, That was me. That was me. Somebody called in and said, I'm one of your faithful 39 listeners. And I called him the faithful 39 from then on in. And then when Max was born on May 9th, 2002, and I I made the announcement on our show, whatever show, I guess yeah. I was doing the, the morning show. I came on and I said, I've got great news. The faithful 39 is now the faithful 39 and a half. That's how it became 39 and a half because he was a baby. He was an eight, so I called him a half. Okay. And then he became a full, and it yeah. went to faithful 40. <laughs> and then Brett came along, and it, it was, was 40, a half. 40 and a half. And yeah. I don't think I ever changed it. I yeah. don't think I ever got to 41. Yeah. I think we stopped at about 40 faithful and 40 and a half. Yeah. And, that, and that's the answer. That's it. Puesta del Sol wants to know, is there an office furniture sponsor out there that's willing to provide <laughs> Mitch and Jay Ham with some more comfortable chairs? Yeah. Yeah, what's up with that? Uh, I'm I'm, what's up with that? I'm open. What's up with that? I'm open. If you're listening out yeah. there, Mr. Furniture people, just sure. give me a holler. Mitch sure. at MitchUnfiltered.com. Um, Bob Twist wants to know, I love your take on old TV shows and movies and pop culture. I'm only a few years older and agree on almost all of your takes. How about your favorite new stuff, TV or movies? Now, this is as a reference to something that I tweeted out over the weekend. I don't know if you've heard this. You don't know about the Jeopardy champion. I'll try this one out for you. Okay. Your boy Jimmy Kimmel announced last week that there's going to be a one-night remake of All in the Family and the Jeffersons. They're bringing back All no, in the Family. Archie Bunk. Yes, they're Those two in- shows can't even be played on network one night, television one night, in 2019. One night, one show Are they each. live shows? Live shows. No way. Yeah, in May. It's coming. They announced the cast. Playing Archie Bunker is Woody Harrelson. Marissa Tomei is playing Edith Bunker. Playing the role <laughs> of George voice, George yeah. Jefferson is Jamie Foxx. He's going to play Je- George Jefferson. Mm-hmm. And so I did a tweet over the weekend saying that, with all due respect, this will be interesting. In my mind, there was never a TV performance in my lifetime as good as Carol O'Connor the original Archie Bunker. Mm-hmm. To me, that's the greatest television portrayal performance, comedy, 
drama, hour, half hour, sitcom, you you name it. Mm-hmm. You can throw them all into the hat. The greatest performance that I ever saw in my life was Carol O'Connor. So that's this is as a result. Now, the problem with this question from Bob Twist is I don't really watch shows anymore. You're right. Do you watch shows? No. Any shows? No. Not with any Netflix. Netflix. But again, you watch a Netflix series and this series and you bounce from series to series. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but I don't watch network television series like we used to. Like I I can't even tell you the last series. What's your Netflix do you have a Netflix show? Do you have a show? You have an Amazon Gosh. Prime show? Yeah, I mean the last You have one that you you binged? Has Jay Ham ever sat down like on a plane and watched like boom, 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 two or three episodes of something? Because I, I I'd like to know what that is. Yeah. If you got one for me. No, I mean there, there's a bunch. They just move from whatever's new, right? Okay. So you don't have one really in your mind. No. Because I don't I don't have anything no. to recommend because all I do is kind of recommend watch, definitely not watch sports and, and what have you. Yeah. Gunnar Malloy wants to know Mitch, Mariners, pretenders or contenders? 16 and 9, best winning percentage in Major League Baseball at the time of this recording of yeah. episode number 36. They keep hitting home runs. They got chances. Daniel Vogelback. My gosh. If this guy, I mean, come on, really? 352 <laughs> with eight or nine bombs already, but he's the ultimate softball player. For sure. Uh, beer swiggling softball player. I will say this, though, right? The, no chance. This team's got no chance of being contenders. The Astros. No. And the Cleveland series at home most recently. Six in a row lost. They lost all right. of them. Right. So yeah. you, you go hard and you're eleven and one or whatever it was, twelve and two, and then you go home to play some real some real teams. Some real ball clubs. And yeah. then you go back on the road and you go Beat up on the, the Angels, Angels right? And, right. Like, Sixteen and nine. I'm not saying five hundred? I'm not no, I actually think they're gonna be better than five hundred. You do. I do. But contenders means they have a chance to be in the playoffs and win a World Series. And I, I don't believe that. You're not a wagering type. Me? I'd offer you a little small wager on that comment that you just made. They're going to be over. There's no way this team's over 500. You know, here's the thing. You don't need me to tell you. There's no hiding in baseball. Yeah. It's 162 yeah. games. There's no fluke in it. No. There's no if math, if bubble the odds, gum and stotch, yeah. uh, scotch tape. No. You know what? It's what we love about baseball, and it's what we hate about baseball. There's no kind of – this is 162 yeah. ball games. You don't back your way into it nah. in, in Major League Baseball. No, nah, this is not yeah. uh, a little fluky situation. Now, yeah. yeah, have there been teams that have come out of the woodworks that were supposed to be terrible that have won? Yeah, and maybe this is one of them. I, They're pitching – no, no. I refuse to even consider for a half a second, mm-hmm. as much as I hope I'm wrong because yeah. I love the Mariners. Of course. I refuse to consider for even – an iota of a split second yeah. that this team is a contending team I agree. come the end of the season. Finally, Dean Barker wants to know, did you ever find out the identity of the angry man? Do you remember the angry man? Oh, for sure. He used to leave the drunken voice messages. The so- answer is no. I don't know who he is. Never knew who he was. I've heard that he's not around anymore, that he may have passed away. I don't know, but I don't know who he is. And all I know is I used to go to my voicemail those are some of the best and I used to just, ever. And when he would call, he would leave 8, 10, 12 messages. He would go months without calling. And then he would leave like 12 back-to-back-to-back messages. And one was funnier than the next. A lot of them, uh, you could ask Sandmeyer this question, because yeah. Sandmeyer was around in the, in, the, in the meat of the angry man. Yeah. 
I'd play a lot of them for Sam Meyer. We're like, no, we're not, we're not. Can't even you, play that. You can't even you, forget beeping it. You can't even beep it. Just the right. whole tone. There's tones in there that are very damaging. Sure, sure. No, we're not doing sure. that. There were a lot we couldn't even. I, I should have kept those and played them for you off the air. But yeah, I don't know who he was. I never found out who he was. Anyway, some of the best um, ever. And that's all I got for messages. episode 36. That's it. I actually had some other stuff, but nothing that you want to talk about. Well. Nah, I think we've I think we've covered it. I think we've cut it, covered it. Are you gonna uh, you gonna really tweet out a picture oh, of me and my I'm sweater? I'm gonna tweet out a picture. When, what strategically? When when strategically are you gonna tweet that out? After you release the episode tomorrow, because I I need people to know that it's available, and so I want to connect the two things. Yeah. Right. With here's what you are going to listen to us talk about. Yeah. This beauty right here. This unbelievable beauty. By the way, this sweater is like three sizes too big for you, too. It's just, there's nothing good about this. I told you I blame, do you you remember the Cosby show, I do. Right? It became very fashionable to wear colorful, big, I, I, kind of twilly I agree. sweaters. I understand that. I understand that. You can fit your wallet, your <laughs> cell phone, and a microphone just in the gap of the sweater underneath your wrist here. <laughs> the the folds of the sweater, uh, right? And this right. is amazing. All right, I'm doing. It. Can, can you throw me the bell? Speaking of I phones, need yes. I need I need to get home. Oh, so I, get... I know what I I know what I had to talk to you about. We never did it. What? It was number one on my list. Nine thirty technology. I need some help. Nine thirty technology. Next, we're starting off Friday show thirty six p. Mm-hmm. With your rule in your household that I need to talk to you about. We talked about it on 35P a little bit. No, we didn't. I you said, said at the very end, you dropped it in. I want you to know that we have a big problem in this house. Oh, you do. And you've got the whole ninth. I, I told them. I told the whole family. They don't like you much anymore. Yeah, yeah. I told them that they have in the Hamiltons. Yeah. And I think that that's not a, I think that that's a pretty common thing with kids. You're in my age, yeah. my kid's age, your yeah. kid's age. Yeah. They're putting technology in a, what do you do? In a. We, t- we take it. We put it in a basket. We take it. We take it. We got to talk about that. Okay. All right. Episode 36. You need to get this freaking right. It's no. episode 36. You tweeted out episode 34P. Spitball. You messed it up. Made, you I, messed yeah, up. I, All right. I can't count how very You ready? Right. Yeah. Episode 36. No. Episode Gaylord Perry. Episode Gaylord Perry is in the books. Yeah.